Whoa, man. Who even are you guys? It's been a long time. Dude, yeah, I feel like I, I'm trying to think of all the things I have experienced <laughs> in six weeks. <laughs> and then I can't even remember it all. But certainly, we've, I feel like I've watched a lot of things. Like a lot of, a lot yeah. of TV shows happening right now, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Welcome to episode 42 of Podcast X. It's been a while. I'm your host, Ben Kendrick. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Keys. Hey, we're all back. It's been so long. I miss you guys. I have so much to say, but we have such limited time during our extremely late night recordings. <laughs> That's it. And, uh, and special guest Kofi Outlaws with us, as usual. I don't know if I'm no if I'm still contractually obligated not to say that to like say that, actually. So Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We, so you just full on Kofi Outlaw now? Yeah, I'm just I'm just <laughs> Kofi Outlaw, and this is another podcast I'm doing right now. So yeah. <laughs> oh. Hey. All right. Well, my co-host Kofi Outlaw is also here. Um. Yeah. We apologize for for our long hiatus. There was a lot of like Rob had like four set visits. I well. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I had to go I had to go down to Tucson and help my mom move and unfortunately my dog also passed while yeah, I was down there so so like there's just been out. yeah there's been a lot uh you met Sully a couple of times yeah several right. times yeah I like Sully yeah. even in New York yeah. when you first got him yeah he was a good wait, dude. Wait, was it Colorado you first got him? I can mix up my time. I got him in Colorado. You met Rosie in New York. That's yeah, what Rosie it was. was yeah, yeah, Callie's dog. But Sully was a good guy, but he uh yeah, it was well, I'm yeah, anyway, I won't get into all that. <laughs> but uh yeah, so we've had just a lot going on. So we apologize for being gone, but it was kind of nice to take like a little break because we actually ended up, you know, there was some stuff that kind of stacked up that's worth talking about. Um we kind of were at the end of summer movie season, so the cadence that we sort of had of big blockbuster movies to talk about every one or two weeks has kind of died down a little bit. So we'll talk about a bunch of stuff that we've been watching. We, we're going to talk about the season finale of Soka. We're going to talk about the season premiere of Loki. We're going to talk about the creator, and we're going to probably do a little bit of Gen V as well. I know Kofi also saw Saw X. I haven't seen that. Keep, so. keep going. we got One Piece on Netflix. We, you know, That's Paw right. Patrol, yeah. the Mighty Movie. Let's go. Yo, yo, <laughs> yeah. guys. Yeah, we're... Uh, I run the uh, I run the uh, num you know po- uh, comic book nation podcast the number one of the podcast network over at uh, comic book and um, yeah man we've talked about I've done too many shows on this shit I don't know how much I'm gonna rehash here <laughs> we need to keep, we need to fire select. yeah. Yeah, uh, there is no rapid fire here. Like a rapid fire turns true. into a two-hour conversation. That's mm. true. Yeah, okay. yeah. We, we just we just miss some shit. Like That's we it. all do enough stuff out here that like you guys are just going yeah. to catch up on some of the. Just go yeah. find our opinions on the interwebs on some of the. Yeah. I can't go back yeah, as on... far as One Piece. <laughs> um, I watched the Golden Bachelor. <laughs> no, I'm just oh, kidding. What the well, I did skip? watch the Golden Bachelor. I watched some Love Is Blind. I know Kofi watches Love Is Blind. 
No, everybody keeps saying that to me. Oh, uh, this I is thought... the third time in two days. Which one is it's the only fuck man fuck this? I'm going back and watching it because this is the only one I don't oh. watch. I watched the Get... Ultimatum, the Circle. Um, uh, okay, was the Ultimatum? Yeah, too, hot, too to hot to handle. Yeah, too. When hot I to... really need yeah. to laugh and Sean Freud, I watch those hot idiots are too hot to handle. <laughs> um, yeah, I love that. Thing. Uh, that's it's like good, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. better than a puppy bowl. Um, like, yeah. and <laughs> yeah, it, Love is Blind. I watched the first season and I watched all the way up to the first reunion, but I got too angry with a lot of the characters. And so like, then I just stopped watching it, but now it's like yeah. the hottest one. So now I got to go back and keep watching it. Cause I am a Netflix reality show trash bin. Yeah. And so like, this season trash, this season is funny because like they, usually they have like six or seven couples, you know, or like five or six couples. And this season shit gets really fucked up. So there's only like two or three couples that they're like following at like after the initial like experiment or whatever. It's pretty, uh, yeah, the ultimatum. So crazy. And, and I watched the show that had them, the Netflix universe show where they all like, Oh yeah. The like into a house together. Yeah. Like the bachelor in paradise thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But that that shit was incredible because it was the ultimate crossover that I forget the name of it now, which shows you how fucking trashy that was. But it was like, it made you, it made me watch all these other shows because I knew everybody. There's a reality TV show. Cinematic universe. Perfect. Yeah, it was perfect, perfect match. match. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. It's where they yeah. took all the people who didn't really fucking find anybody on all these different shows and threw them in the house together. So it was the Netflix cinematic universe, oh Netflix reality God. universe <laughs> endgame. Like it was. It is pretty best. fucking funny because it's like so people that were on like Love Is Blind that were like really like wholesome, like nice people, and they're just like in a house with all these like people who all they wanted to do was fuck on Duarte handle and stuff. Oh, okay. It now is, I'm uh, interested. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, we should do like, an episode on reality but TV. Like, it's even, but it's even better than that because they've all been out and now like whatever their personas on the shows were doesn't fucking matter. Everybody saw what a mess they were in the edits. They've all been out in L.A. They've all been out in L.A. like fucking each other behind the scenes. And like there's like yep. a whole subplot of Perfect Match. Just like how... <laughs> There's a couple of these people who just like met and were banging on the side anyway and like have fucking drama yeah. off camera. Like it's so fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are off the rails, man. Yeah, I know. I mean, we got to do it sometime. Maybe like yeah, on an you guys want to go as far back as one piece and like we can we can rapid fire. <laughs> we didn't even get to the- anything that has anything to do. I with thought you'd appreciate me finally watching something related to anime. <laughs> oh, fine. Go off on your One Piece take. This is just—I mean, we started off with perfect match, so you might as well yeah. just go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Fine. I'm in. Look, I—you guys know this. I don't have any experience or knowledge with anime. I've never read manga. I've heard of you know One Piece, of course. We, we cover it on the site. Uh, the first episode, man, it was weird and kind of cringy at times. But something, something about the charm kept me through. Once I got to episode two, like every episode just got better and better. I know I'm speaking the obvious. Everyone already knows this from watching the anime. But if you just embrace the cheese for a little moment and let the characters like show you who they are and what they can do, it's like by far the most fun thing. I was going to say show, but literally the funnest thing I've watched uh, all year. And somehow they find a mal- magic balance of using like practical sets with like crazy over the top action, super goofy elements, but like very adult writing and sequences and themes. And, but then the characters play it so seriously, despite having such weird things to do and say. So um, if you have not watched it and it seems weird, I, like as I thought it was, holy shit, you have every, I think everyone needs to watch one piece. It's uh, top tier programming uh, of the year for sure. So there you go. Rapid fire. That was, that was like, there was like a lull in like Netflix shows and Ashley and I almost started it. 
but we I don't know what we ended up. You'll like it. It's good. Yeah. I, so I think Ted Lasso for Cartoon Pirates, man, it's great. Oh, that's cool. That's but they drop f bombs once in a while. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm starting to think that we need to do a reality TV podcast for patrons. Like we've we've talked about starting a Patreon, and so like you know maybe that's I'm maybe that's not hook, watching but. all this for anybody. I do nothing. <laughs> for, I do nothing for the people. That's why I, my career would be a lot different if I did do things for the people, guys. That's true. I do nothing That's for true. the people. Like I, I'm not doing anything for you. I have a bunch of real people I got to do shit for, and that's about it. Like, <laughs> Sorry, Ben. This is a solo op for you. I'll do a yeah, game one or something. So. I guess so. Yeah, we'll just do like Patreon, like Patreon episodes, just random special, like talk. No, I mean it works. Yeah, talk. I've by got yourself. I've got uh, colleagues who have done like uh, ones for like RuPaul's Drag Race, Big Brother. Like yeah, for sure. They've all been very yeah. popular. Like there you go. Done well. People love them. People always still hit me no. up about that Bachelor podcast that I used to do with like Dice and his brother yeah. and a couple of my friends. Like, people always want us to bring that back, but there's like a lot. Like, we we're kind of ahead of the curve on some of the bat, but now all the Bachelor people have their own podcast. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, it's, it's kind I of feel like really, yeah. Look, we just anyway. with the screen ran underground thing. Like, uh, we oh, one hundred percent. Not a lot of people when people didn't <sighs> understand what the word podcast meant. That was the time to get in on that. I, I dude, and I brought that up. And now, now who's the most popular? Fucking Joe Rogan. There we go. Oh, dude. I, Kofi, seriously, I brought that in two different meetings this week. I brought up like SRU and how like so ahead of its time it was and everything. If only we – fuck, we. if only we knew how to advertise shit back then. <laughs> yeah. That was, well, that's the thing. That was, I mean, yeah. so easy now, but like people – these kids don't understand. Like I, I'm just like – and I've just – I've been doing this all day. But like you, these kids don't under-fucking-stand. Like there wasn't a bunch of companies just giving you salary and money back then. Like – no, he thought these were concepts that would work. These were proof of concepts we had to do. So yeah. don't like, don't don't buy into the fallacy. Like we had to like take the machetes and fucking go into the jungle and carve a path out for like, two hundred yeah. plus episodes. We did that. <laughs> the only yeah. reason I'm still saying is because I read a passage. I was reading like actual literature one day, and there was a passage where somebody wrote something along the lines of like pioneers are very rarely ever the highest paid people for their yeah, own for discoveries sure. and it was just shit like, oh. that's too true i was like that's true but it's like and then i was like yeah but you can't be both you can't be the scumbag who realizes mcdonald's like a franchisable real estate business and the person who loves making burgers and wants to do it really well and really fast for people you just can't be those two people at once it's not yeah possible mm-hmm. so, you know you just if you love to create and you love to like figure shit out that's new and do shit that's new you just got to do that and yeah. hopefully along the way, so one day somebody fucking pays you something for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Accurate. Although no, none of us recommend anyone get into this business. <laughs> no, absolutely. Be smart. Absolutely. Like, yeah. It's terrible for your mental. It's terrible for your health, your mental health. Um, it's the, you have to cut a lot of throats. It's entertainment or somebody's going to cut your throat. Like it's all, it's always red weddings. Everything you're invited oh. to is a potential red wedding. And you're like, <laughs> wait. I thought this was just like a fan event. And we're just like, well, surprise, <laughs> motherfucker. It was a red wedding. Yeah, like, people. Oh, yeah, we used to talk about it when we go to the Hasbro party at New York Comic Con. That was like the freaking red wedding of like people grabbing toys and like knocking each oh, other. Oh, yeah. you told me some oh, weird was, stories about that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That gets really weird in that. Yeah. <laughs> started getting, they ended it when there started being people who showed up and just would stand there with threatening, who brought threatening people just to stand by things. Yeah. Like. Oh no, I got this one. 
That's too like, awkward yeah. for him. People were just <laughs> like, kind of on for five minutes. No, they had plants. Like they, people were bringing yeah. like bouncer sized plants just to stand by shit and be like, I got to do what I got to do for my kid. And you're like, whoa. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And now they have like computerized Grimlocks and shit. Like, I'm not trying to get into all that. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. People will fuck you up for that. For that AI <laughs> Grimlock. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Which is pretty um, awesome, by the way. Uh, rapid fire, Kofi, tell us it, about it Saw is. X. <laughs> um, Saw X. So Saw X is we cut our bones, you know, no pun intended. Well, pun intended. Fuck that. Like on yeah. the Saw franchise coming up. Um, still explaining Saw movies in six hundred. Oh God, yeah, we had to fucking... seconds nearly. Oh yeah. The that Mike Eisenberg ben did, just yeah. couldn't let it go. He needed every detail of every Saw movie. I was like, Ben, I don't think anybody knows that. <laughs> good for you. You know, that's yeah. what made Screen Rant great, though, is our obsessions. Ben had to get every detail of every Saw movie explained to you in six minutes and 66 seconds, and it nearly killed yeah. him, but he did it. It's, um, it's true. I still tell people about that. I tell people yeah. about it. Every time Saw movies come out, I'm like, I know a guy who almost fucking Hey, we were like, please, you don't have to do this. He was like, I do. Yeah, I need to play the game. But um, yeah. anyway, Saw X. Tonight's drink will be pineapple, plantation pineapple <laughs> rum. Highly recommended. In a uh, kind of reduced Cuba Libre form, where I just, you know, really clean it up with the lime juice and, and the Coke and, you know. Love it. Good ice. Anyway, so let's talk about Saw X. Um, the Saw movie started sucking, like, real quick after, like, four <laughs> because yeah. it just started getting really absurd. It wasn't just the plot got so convoluted with like multiple interquels on interquels on interquels, like a layer of some fucked up onion. It was the fact that the traps started getting really crazy. Like the yeah. motivations for the traps got really lost. Like dudes were just killing people just to kill people and torture porn them. And like there were all these elaborate fucking room things of traps that nobody could conceivably ever build without setting off the fucking Pentagon and alerting the Pentagon that something (laughs) weird was happening. Like, and so that like saw honestly, and then by the end we were just, it was pure spectacle with 3d and like all this shit. Right. Yeah. Then they tried to do two spinoffs with jigsaw, which was a prequel and an interquel, but like a sequel, which just, didn't really again was about the legacy of jigsaw but not really about jigsaw himself and then spiral which was just nothing which goes up there with exorcist believer which we can fold this in too which is just like something that's just in name only right with the basic framework of what makes it part of the franchise and that's like the same makeup artists and shit to make them like look the same, yeah. but not like there were yeah. traps and they referenced jigsaws traps and that's what makes spiral spiral, but it's a completely different story about yeah. just a kid angry about a bunch of cops. But, um, with saw X, you know, against all odds, they go back and the producers have, have openly joked that they, Realize by now that they're the idiots who fucked up their own franchise by killing their main villain in, in episode three. <laughs> um, and that probably not the greatest decision. But uh, they go back to the time between Saw 1 and Saw 2 for this interquel, and it fucking works. Like, mm. it, it actually works. It reminds you what, like, a Saw movie was supposed to be with modern production value. Like, 
does that reinvent the wheel? Is it like higher cinema? Like, no, it's still a Saw movie, but it's just, it's what you liked about not even the original Saw, which is its own beast, but like Saw 2 and Saw 3, when the franchise actually had fucking promise, right? And it's even better than that because it is the first movie where you get to put Tobin Bell's John Kramer as the protagonist. And I've been kind of really split about this and talking and thinking it over, but like, I don't think you could have made Saw X before. Like, I don't think you could have gone back and been like, if we had just not done Saw 3 and done something like this, it'd been okay. Because there's a lot of the movie that works because of the weight of the entire franchise is always ever present. Like, so there's a lot of dramatic irony and like all this shit that you can work with. Like when somebody says like, oh, John, maybe you'll get that ice clap machine done one day or some stupid shit like that. You're like, oh, I know that it's going to happen <laughs> like in all this stuff. But like Tobin Bell's a great actor, like a, or at least a good actor. And they go back to making the concept of Jigsaw work. All the traps that happen in the setup of the entire thing is is entirely kind of like lower scale and believable. Each of the traps is actually well thought out shit that is like a good Star Wars duel in that it it's not just torture porn. It, it has a point to it. Like everything that he's doing to the people actually has a point to it. And the traps are all practical. There's something you could see somebody, an engineer with a low budget and, you know, on the fly kind of coming up with. There's nothing so intricate that, like, I think the Iron Maiden, there's an Iron Maiden mask, which is like a hot plate or something, like, glued together over somebody's head, and it's like the most okay. intricate thing we get. But there is a point to the story and to, like, Jigsaw, and they succeed in making him, like, weirdly a compelling like anti-hero protagonist because these people you don't and they flip the whole concept of the saw franchise like normally you never saw john kramer in these movies except for in like flashbacks to people who had encountered him and usually in some bad way right like they fucked him over or they messed up or did something to him he didn't like and and he punished them later and, and like you were rooting for the people to get out of the traps. That's who you're rooting for. You're rooting for them against getting killed by the jigsaw killer. This flips yeah. it around entirely. You're rooting for these people to die. You know what I mean? Because of the premise, which is their scam artists scamming rich cancer patients who mm. are terminally ill cancer patients. So you're kind of rooting for, you don't really have a, or, or at the very least you're not like, you don't have a stake in them dying or not. It's easier to look at John Kramer as an, as an anti-hero in this. And the traps are all pretty gnarly. Like they're all well thought out and pretty gnarly. Like people actually have to do some pretty gnarly shit if they want to survive. And it has to be on a clock, like within a certain amount of time. And it's an ironic punishment. Like the person (laughs) who, who blindfolded, like the, I'm sure you've all seen the poster with the tubes on the eyes and all that. Yeah, shit. yeah. So that's a guy who one of the scam artists was, you know, to make it authentic, quote unquote. They fake kidnap him because it's in Mexico, and so they throw a blindfold over his head and take him in a van to where the research clinic, quote unquote, is supposed to be. So to punish when he's trying to track down the scammers, the first one of the first guys he grabs is the driver who like 
you know, kidnapped him and blindfolded him. And so that's the punishment is he's got to do a certain amount of shit to his face within a certain amount of time, or he will be blindfolded, like blindfolded quote unquote forever by having his eyes sucked out of a vacuum tube. And so like, and so like, yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's fucking gnarly, but you get it. Like, right. Like there's a point, there's a, there's a sociopathic point. (laughs) You blindfolded me, you blinded me to like the truth. And there's like a whole speech. It's the opening of the movie. It's like, you blinded me to the truth of like what was going on. Now we'll see if you will blind yourself. Like in like, right. It's, it's pretty fucking gnarly. You gotta suck your <laughs> yeah. eyes out or die. And so, like, <laughs> I won't spoil it. What happens? But like, th- it, it gets pretty gnarly because you're kind of rooting for the people, kind of not. And some people make it, and some people don't. But like, every it's not like the old Saw movies where people are just screaming. Like, people try, and they try hard, and the trying is is fucked up, dude. Like, people fight for their lives, and, and some don't just don't make it in time. You know what I mean? God, it's pretty geez. fucked up. And you're like, oh my god! Like, and they miss it by seconds, and it's pretty fucked up. And you're just like, oof. So, yeah, I mean, I think they could make more of these. That's the crazy thing. Like, I think you can squeeze out at least two more of these intervals in between the other Saw movies, and or it, and even some with the disciples. Because okay, that's my question. If if, if they can still, this is sort of a quasi into the prequel right for him for for tobin bell so my question was can yeah. he come back again or is it going to be like uh, apprentices or whatever no you can get him back for another one he lived wow. until saw through so saw three and they've already yeah. told us how many chapters of unknown jigsaw stories that we know and this one being the latest one so like all and it works because practice rounds like impromptu this is a, this whole movie is the impromptu practice round that he does after Saw 1, while well, he's actually designing the actual full-fledged jigsaw killings that begin in Saw 2 when he puts all those people in that fucked up house, mm-hmm. like, this is his time figuring all that out. And, like, okay. he gets, and they cleverly kind of, because it is the same franchise, like, editor turned director Kevin Gerhardt or whatever his name is, and, like, everybody else coming back. And so, like, the one of the points of this movie is him really stumbling upon the concept of jigsaw not just his isolated revenge we get in saw one but like this larger concept of you know his in his mind like the righteous mission of jigsaw and why it should continue after his life and like you do get a little more of justification justifying like these later saw sequels with the disciples and shit and you know, some of those characters may or may not show up. I won't say any spoilers, but, you know, may be more involved than people think in, in kind of justifying the entire Jigsaw team concept and all of that. So huh. it was actually pretty good. I saw, I'm, like, in the last yeah, week, I, mean, I have seen the creator, Saw X, Exorcist, Gen V. And Loki. so I still might be my and Loki and uh, Loki was pretty good. The, at least the premiere was. Um, but uh, overall, Saw X might be still my favorite thing I've seen. Hmm. Like I didn't say cool. best. I said my favorite. Yeah, right? yeah. It, it may be my favorite. I mean, I'm surprised. It was the most surprising. But that's yeah, what it was. It was the most surprising. It was the most where I was like, I had to see the creator and Saw X as a double feature on a last Thursday night. And I was just like, 
after the creator, I was like, I just texted my wife. I was like, fuck man, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I really don't like how much people are there. Like I was like kind of second guessing. She was like, you know, you want to do it. Like make sure you, you want to cover all your bases. And so I was like, fine. Shout out to Allie for the pep talk. But I went back in and by the end, I was like, holy fuck, this was a much better part of my evening. This was great. Like it was just, yeah, it's gnarly, man. It took me back to those yeah. first Saul days. Yeah, those were, I mean, you know, we were joking about, like, me putting that insane thing together, but it was, like, that was actually really interesting, like, going through all those movies and, like, charting all the connections, and, like, I was always, like, kind of impressed by that franchise in a weird way of, that it, like, ended up being something more than what it sort of would have been at face value with, like, a a horror film. So the idea that they're going back to that and, like, bringing them back in, because when it was always its most interesting when there kind of was, like, oh, Saw 3 is actually happening at the same time as Saw 2 or whatever. You know, I can't remember exactly what all that was anymore. But I actually thought that stuff was cool. So I'm glad that this is, you know, it's not like a spiral sequel. It's more of a actual, like, return to form. That that interests yeah, me no, for sure. Yeah, back into the Saw, the main Saw series in a, in a, in a better way. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think about horror movies this year, but uh, I haven't seen, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, what was that indie one that came out a little bit ago? Oh, the fucking... I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like... With the teenagers, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, yeah, I, was, I wanted to see I'm that. It was like, you, that, I will like, see you or some shit. Like, not the... Yeah. I can't remember. I know, yeah. Because there's now the Indian-American one, like... Talk, or is it... Yeah, Indian-American one, Talk to Me. Yeah, or, Talk like, to Me. Something like that. what I was thinking of, yeah. Um... But uh, which I just was like seeing, but uh, I think overall, like honestly, I think I'm trying to think of this year and it feels short and long at the same time. But unless I'm making a mistake, because Barbarian was last fall, right? Yes, last year, yeah, 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 that was after Comic Con 2022. I remember that because that's where I saw it first. Um, yeah, this year, I think Evil Dead Rise and Saw X might be my two favorite horror films. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Evil Dead Rise was both, great. It was a lot of fun. Like, yeah, both just kind of really coming from these long-running franchises, but doing something like fresh and kind of fun and new. Yeah, I don't remember there. I feel like there weren't that many horror movies last year. There was the Black Phone was last year as well, right? Yeah, Black Phone was last year. That's Barbarian all I remember. Was last year. No, but there was Barbarian. There was something else because. There was one that was like, oh, was Megan was Megan was last year. Yeah, that was a weird like end of year earlier digital streaming thing, I thought as well. Yeah. Like, weird timing for that. Yeah. That was cool. I like that. And Black Phone, yeah. Yeah. There was some other stuff too. I'm sure Bloomhouse had a bunch, but yeah. But yeah, Black Phone. I saw Black Phone. I Spiral last year. That, no, no, that was twenty twenty one. Yeah. A lot of movies. We got uh, Five Nights at Freddy's coming up too, right? So lots of stuff yeah, that's coming up real soon. Um, all right. Well, you guys want to move on to Ahsoka? Sure. I feel like that's probably our headline thing, and then we can circle back on the creator and Loki a little bit. But um, all right. Well, yeah. I mean, twenty twenty two. We forgot though. Morbius. Oh, oh Morbin yeah. time. Morbin time. Yeah. Hell's yeah. No, uh, I'm just kidding. Let's not get derailed. That was, Let's go. That was a moment. 
Yeah. Violent Night was last year. Werewolf by Night. I mean, that was something. Oh, yeah. That was cool. Oh, shit. Best Halloween. Oh, Halloween Ends. Greatest movie of 2022. I'm so fucked out of that franchise. Prey came out last year. Yeah, Prey was dope as fuck. Prey was dope, yeah. Prey was great. On disc now. Hells yeah. Oh, is that home video? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I I don't have it. The kids. No, there oh, you go. this year. Oh no, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Uh, Scream Six and fucking. Oh yeah, maybe my favorites. Yeah, Scream Six Scream was Six great. Was dope. Yeah, that was actually. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, that yeah, that I watched Scream, like the two last Scream films. Like I watched them back to back, like right around the time that like Scream Six came out. I, I haven't seen either yet. Yeah. It's my uh, new Slack avatar for October is uh, Melissa Barrera at the end of Scream covered in blood after she just <laughs> yeah. stabs that fucking dude to death. Yeah. And also has my greatest line. Fucking my girl has been killing it. Fucking Jenna Ortega. Jenna yeah. Ortega. Greatest horror movie kill line, I think, in like last girl line I think I've ever heard. Now die a fucking virgin. And she st- stabs <laughs> that kid in the head. It was like, yeah. holy shit. Yeah. Goddamn Scream 6. For sure. Yeah. That was my favorite yeah. movie this year. That was a good one for sure. Um, okay. So Ahsoka. You go so first, Benny. Did, the last time that we had talked about this, we, I, mean, I feel like we were all like largely positive about this thing. Um, well, that was in the micro. Let's just let's just keep it in the macro now because we, we got to cover a lot of bases. So, like, let's just talk about yes, but the t- series t- your... as a whole, and yeah, of sure. course, how it compares to your Andor experience. Right. Ooh, yeah. So, I mean, Andor is, for all intents and purposes, a better show. Like, I think it it does succeed in a way in terms of being like. Like the emotional moments in that show are are still res- like I will never forget Andy Circus walking up to that ledge after that like rousing escape and fucking being like I can't swim. <laughs> I mean, like those this things. Is the second time today somebody's referenced that. Yeah, one. it's just so. It's like I mean, it's like that's next level storytelling. The way that you know that show kind of played with expectations and even what they were all fucking doing there and how it all tied into the larger sort of story that was happening and probably how it's going to tie into rogue one and stuff. Like I I think that is still by far the best quality. Like that could be on, you know, that thing could be nominated for Emmys or something. And I wouldn't have been like, Oh, you know, what is this thing doing here? Ahsoka is probably the most fun that I've had with one of the Disney shows since. Yeah. And it's different because I like, I also watch bad batch and you know, a lot of the other animated stuff. So like I, I mean, Bad Batch has is kind of up there for me in a lot of ways too, just because it's, but it's, it's sort of a different, I would say it's a different thing, but I mean, I definitely liked it a lot more than Book of Boba Fett. I liked it more than more recent seasons of the Mandalorian. I think it's up there probably with like the original Mandalorian season for me, probably in terms of just like, yeah, there's some cartoony shit and there's some goofy stuff, but as someone who really loved Clone Wars and loved Rebels and you know, like the way that Dave Filoni does a lot of his storytelling. I mean, it's pretty bonkers. Like what is actually covered in this show with like the witches of Dathmir and fucking possessed stormtroopers and shit at the end. Like that, it felt like a live action version of, of rebels and the clone wars, which I really, really enjoyed. I'm not thrilled with where it leaves a lot. Like it feels like there should be one more episode of this show. And I know it's all tying in, you know, to this, whatever this, probably Thrawn movie is that ultimately Filoni is going to do where he pulls all these shows together. But I don't know. I mean, 
like the idea that Sabine ultimately like kind of <laughs> like just tried to get Ezra back and released Thrawn and didn't even get home herself to like help fight him and stuff. And they're just sort of stuck there. Like, I'm sure all of that will get resolved, but it's a bit of a, I don't know, in the grand scheme of things that it does seem like a ridiculous kind of wager to have made for her character. And she doesn't seem to face like really significant consequences for that, that action. Like I would have been a lot more like interested in the idea of her getting stuck behind and saving like Ahsoka and y'all are always you know, trying Ezra's to WNBA Ahsoka, man. Yeah. <laughs> Ahsoka. Maybe. Um, I, I'm just going to interject and save us some time and say, uh, I agree with much of what you said. If you listen to hopefully award winning, you know, fuck that just listen to comic book nation. And we did our Ahsoka recap today. And I said exactly what Ben said. Um, I think Andor is still by far the best. Andor is the only one that makes me want to pick up a brick and beat a fascist head in <laughs> and like revolt, like for real, like in real yeah. life. That's the only time Star Wars has ever done that for me. Um, but this is the most fun I've had with one of the like top to bottom, soup to nuts, all the good parts, all the bad parts. This is the most overall fun yeah. I've had with one of these Disney Plus shows since the early Mandalorian since the Mandalorian seasons one and two, and I would probably stack all the season uh, shows as Andor, Mando one, Mando two, Ahsoka, um, Mando three, Obi-Wan. And even though I'm not as hard as Book of Boba Fett as a lot of you, Book of Boba Fett would inevitably be under it in terms of live yeah. action ones, just because it's just not as good as the other stuff I mentioned. And, but it's fighting Obi-Wan for that, for that bottom spot. But Obi-Wan has yeah. some dope high, like some really high yeah. highs to it. That episode where with a flashback to Anakin and how he outwits Darth Vader is is one of the best Star Wars TV episodes I've ever seen. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Yeah. So that being said, uh, yeah, you guys try to WNBA Ahsoka like this. Sh- there's a lot of WNBA in this. Like basically what works for Star Wars elsewhere somehow doesn't work for the ladies. But this is just the end of Empire Strikes Back. And I've been saying that that it's going to be for weeks now. And if you don't get what happened in Empire Strikes Back, because I feel like Star Wars, we, we all have mythologized it so far in our minds that we don't necessarily look at it accurately all the time. But that's a movie where the crazy thing about that movie is not just the reveals or the twist of Darth Vader. But it's a movie that basically defies like all movie logic. The first movie had been this epic hero's quest, right? Where this kid finds out he can be the fucking man and saves the galaxy. <laughs> the second movie is all of the characters that became friends and bonded in this first movie kind of having a falling out and, and having fucking real stress problems between them throughout the whole movie. None of those characters get along. Like everybody has problems. Luke's not around. Han and Leia can't fucking stop bickering. Han and Lando have that thing where Lando fucks over Han. Like even Chewbacca, even C-3PO gets fucking to pieces and can't get his shit together. All these character conflicts are happening. (laughs) But by the end, like externally, they're fucked by the end, right? Han's fucking gone. (laughs) Luke's (laughs) fucking mangled. Like all this shit, but spiritually and collectively they're united and that's the last shot of empire is them being like 
you know, we're down, we're down bad right now. We're really down bad, but we're together and together. We're going to fucking overcome. And that's like the real moment where they all become like heroes of the rebellion. And they're like, we're going to do this shit and we're going to fucking save Han and we're going to stop fucking Vader and we're going to stop the emperor and we're going to do this shit. And the comics have been great about the star Wars comics for the last two years. If you've been asleep at the wheel have been just feeding us shit from this long stretch of time between empire strikes back and return of the Jedi and showing all the ways in which Lake Luke and Leia and everybody actually did the growing and fucking power building needed to end this war. So this is kind of like what happens at the end of Ahsoka. Like, yeah, our characters are down bad. They, the, the bad guys win in a, in an external sense, but yeah, this was always like a samurai story and they even do the thing for fucking all you goddamn idiots out there. Like they do the Leonardo DiCaprio meme thing where Thrawn drops uh, a totally not fitting piece of human historical context to Ahsoka's character, which I love when Star, yeah. Star Wars does. When she, he says, a Ronin like you, you probably belong here. And like, that's the kind of, that's the real crux of the series though. Like this was a samurai story all along. And it was about a Ronin. And if you don't know your samurai history, a Ronin is a masterless samurai, a samurai who has lost their master. And in samurai culture, that is utter disgrace. Your life is over. And so like a Ronin keeps going, but they are facing this massive existential crisis, right? They've lost their master. Therefore, they lost their purpose, their path and their honor. And half of those Ronin stories are about how does this individual deal with this existential crisis, right? In this cultural context. And like, where do they find their honor again? Where do they find their purpose again? Like all of that. And that's what Ahsoka really was. It was Dave Filoni's Ronin Samurai story. Yeah. I can definitely, yeah, I can definitely see what you're saying. I'm not saying, I'm not saying like, look, I've already done this all day. Again, I'm not saying that he executed it perfectly. Yeah, that's I'm it. not saying that like Ahsoka being the Zen samurai that she was supposed to be for two very different reasons. First, she's Zen because she's not because it's a form of, you know, uh, disassociation with her problems. She's Zen because it's a fake ass Zen. she's really conflicted inside. She has a lot of fucking unresolved problems, but she tries to act like she has it together, but she doesn't. Then after episode five, she actually is Ahsoka the White. She comes back from the dead again and she's put her issues behind her and she's actually fucking Zen Zen for real, which is Zen with a slight smile on her face, like apparently. Now, am I saying all these things are like the greatest things ever? Fuck no. I still think Star Wars has a massive Captain Marvel problem, which is like, you know, in animation, we like Ahsoka... And her younger years was this like very personality driven character, like in live action, not so much. They're still figuring out. It's clear that I don't think they know who to make her at this point. I'm hoping that the one thing this series accomplished is that they know who to make her now that she's like, you know, Zen master with a little bit more snark to her and like a little bit more quippy quippiness to her. Like, and I I could see that coming out in future performances, but like, yeah, I'm not agreeing with all of that, but I don't, I don't want to divert from like 
what the show was trying to do. And so like I do, and I do want to credit it for what it does. And I think because my big concern was at the end of this, I'd be like, why the fuck did you call this an Ahsoka show? And like, I wrote a piece about like, can this stick the landing? And one of the biggest things was to stick this landing for me personally, it just needs to justify its own title. And I think it did that. This was a story about a masterless samurai having to get her shit together and make things right with her own apprentice at, and as, a, as herself being a master. And that's kind of the story that they do finish up in this episode. And yeah, I, like I definitely, that. I definitely see that. Like, I do feel like it's like Ahsoka's influence kind of is the umbrella through which all of the events kind of are filtered or, you know, or co- like collected, I guess not to mix metaphors. So it is like, it, you know, even if it's a Sabine story in some ways, it's still like Ahsoka is still, it's her influence and her sort of training and her disappointment and all of the different things that kind of fuel a lot of what Sabine is yeah, doing. And for sure, as they hammer over our head, it, it's about Dave Filoni's clearly obsessed with the poetry thing about George Lucas making things rhyme. Right. So yeah. like Sabine's whole storyline is, is another Anakin temptation storyline. It's just, yeah, it's the same thing. It's, it's her apprentice having to go, through that same shit that her master went through. And yeah. now has she done as a teacher to prepare her for it? Um, You're definitely again. right that like with the, I mean, the WNBA thing is like a good, I mean, it's a fair comparison. It's true. I mean, like when you think about, like you think about it is, I, I probably am like expecting more out of like the way that, you know, Sabine is punished in a way that like Luke or, you know, Han Solo or somebody is never punished for the like mistakes and the like selfish things that they do. Um, it just, I, I think it was just like what, what it was about the end of the show that bothered me. And then we can get Robin here. It's just like everything. It is very empire strikes back. You're totally right. There's like four or five different threads that are kind of up in the air. And like, I kind of was just hoping that they would bring home a little bit more of that. Like maybe it's, you know, the Ray Stevenson being gone thing. It's like, that just sucks. Like the fact he's gone and like, we don't really get resolution to what, that character is doing they're gonna have to recast them like it just it felt like that was like left up in the air and shin is left up in the air and you know ezra's back but thrawn's back it's like there's five different sort of story arcs that are they're kind of up in the air and i I guess i just sort of wanted there to be a little bit more closure for this season but i mean maybe that's a personal want but it it just feels like i think it's a I'm, i'm with you and i'm gonna say it's a behind the scenes problem like, yeah. I, I think the real story is Marvel and Star Wars and this, they've gotten to a place where the purse strings are a lot of tighter, like the golden era of we can throw everything at streaming and movies because we believe in the brand so highly is that shit's done, bro. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think everything just like the actors, right? Like the actors are like, we'll tell you when we're going to call you back. And how much we're going to pay you and how many projects we're going to need you for. And you're going to get that exact amount for yeah. that exact thing for right now. And don't, uh, what, what, what future plans? Fuck you. We're doing you. We're, we're contracting <laughs> you for this fucking project right here. That's all you fucking need to know. And yeah. like, that's kind of more the approach now. And it's just like, 
I was reading back today, like what Dave Filoni said early on and about specifically in star Wars day in this new Republic event film, because a lot of people have been like, well, this is it. Like, this is it. This is the only thing coming before the new Republic event film. And it's like, nobody's ever really firmly concretely said that to my knowledge, yeah. to my knowledge, yeah. I reread and his quote was, you know, it will be a cumulative event, but cumulative is a funny word. And then he went on to say, like, how Star Wars has, like, these major battles and events and films, but that he's made his bones on being able to stretch that out into all these little other sub-events and sub-stories that yeah. occur around those big things. So, like, yeah, we know this thing and the next big thing to happen is a war with Thrawn. But, like, I think that their policy now is just like a wait and see. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's how true. many streams do we get? How many, how much buzz do we achieve with this? Is there going to be an Ahsoka season two? Wait and fucking see how many people watch this shit. And we'll tell you in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I think that's the real plan. And it's just like, and if they don't feel like it justifies, well, they have an event film they've announced and they can still do and rush a bunch of shit and just kind of give us the cheap version of telling the story. But if, if people are hyped enough and there's enough response and the views, I could easily say an Ahsoka season two or whatever title they slap on it to whether it's called like Spectres or Phoenix or whatever, the yeah. or Ezra or Star Wars, Thrawn, like whatever fucking next chapter they can stretch out or yeah. some other or that Ahsoka Sabine and Balin and Shin and all that shit with more, like the Mortis gods and whatever powers are hiding on Peri or um, um, per per Paradia and like what it's all history has to do with the beginnings of the Jedi, the beginnings of the Night Sister, the beginnings of the Sith, the fucking entire nature of the yeah. Force in Star Wars through the Mortis. Yeah, gods. it's true. Like you can do that too. Like you know, we joked there wasn't going to be a Star Wars multiverse, but now there's literally. It's not parallel universes. There's just about multiple galaxies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, you can, they've sectioned off all these people over here in Narnia. <laughs> like, so. <laughs> <there you go. laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's totally, I mean, that's totally true. It sort of explains like when maybe she's not around is cause like maybe they're stuck there a long fucking time <laughs> or something at this point. Like we don't even, yeah, we don't even know, but Rob, like Kobe and I've been having a, two-way conversation here i want i do want to get you in on this yeah i have so many thoughts you guys raised up so many interesting points and even about the movies too because they you know disney of course dated two or three of them for 2026 which is you know several years away so we know there's another season of mandalorian we know they're gonna do something with boba fett ideally and yeah you're right the maybe there's a story to tell just with ahsoka on that planet and delving into the lore they're starting to introduce but also we need to understand what's going on and just like they have to reset the status quo of the political side of it which is scary to say given how awful those sequences are in ahsoka any scene involving the new republic or Hera or politics is just, just to me unbelievably cringe how poorly yeah. executed the sequences are and how especially the whiplash effect of seeing even some of these same actors in like andor uh, going from any moment in that to any moment in here with dialogue is just mind blowing. This is the same studio on the same streaming platform. Um, yeah, I do wonder, but yeah, yeah, because there was always talk of doing some sort of I forget what it was called, the, you know, Heroes of the New Republic style show, and they've been making efforts to introduce some of these characters. And then Zeb, who was missing from the show, you yeah. know, needs to come back in some fashion as well. Uh, I'm shocked he wasn't in the show actually, given he's training. 
Fuck you, he's training. Yeah, that's absurd to me. He's in a bar last time we saw him, and they're going to hunt Ezra, and Hera doesn't call him up. I don't know. It seems weird, but uh, I understand CGI budgets at Disney right now um, <laughs> and VFX unions and all that. Um, yeah, look, Ahsoka's weird. Look, I think we first spoke about the, the first episodes, and last week I was on the Fuse Film Podcast, and I felt so negative. I said I have a kind of a love-hate relationship with this, and I think we all, of course – we're all hooked. It's Star Wars. We're interested in the expansion of the lore and, and, and converting these Clone Wars and Rebels elements into live action. They're teasing like Legends material. There's a lot of original stuff, including characters like Balin, who I love, love, love in the show, into the yeah. IP, which is awesome. But yeah, I think I think Kofi, both of you guys mentioned it. It, it really is the execution. It, it just consistently falls short in this. And we see the same problem in a lot of the other Star Wars and Marvel shows on Disney+. Plus. But in, in this show in particular – despite them having fields, real fields to put their CGI wolf horses on, every other sequence, especially the ones involving uh, any exterior shot of the Jedi shuttle or anything with Thrawn in it, the environments don't feel real. It's not just visually, they, they look fake in the background, but they fail to deliver some sort of immersiveness. Like it's the, it's the staging, it's the direction, and it's the writing as well. It, they're, they're stale poorly executed shots that feel too much like a fan film. It, I, I don't, and we can talk about this when we get to the creator, but you look at any shot in that and how many shots and camera movements are in any five seconds of a scene, whether it's dialogue, a moving character shot, an, uh, an establishing shot, whatever it is, there's a dynamicism there, which is, I don't think Filoni and his team can even achieve. And I don't know if it's because they're stuck in stages and the volume or because they just don't have the skill set, or it's constraints because of timing and budget, or they're just like they accept this as the status quo and it's good enough to get people raging on Twitter, hyping up ridiculousness. I don't know. It's a combination of these things. But it, to me, it fails to meet my base level expectations. And I understand maybe it's unfair to compare it to Andor, given the time they spent making that and, and, the, and the people in the pedigree behind that. But it's not as good as, and I say this all the time, as like your top five shows at any other streaming network this year in terms of just sheer technical quality. And it drives me insane because I feel like they should be putting their best foot forward on this like diamond level IP, right? Um, so that's very frustrating. Uh, I, do, I mean, I hard can, disagree. I had, I had on one point, I, I think like today, like the finale episode, I, I totally agree with you. I think the night troopers battle while the zombie effect was cool and all that like looked ridiculous. I think everything with Thrawn and Thrawn's ship looked like just hollow soundstage with green screen and background and a couple actors actually there. Mm-hmm. And that all looked bad. However, I think the problem with Ahsoka is I think Ahsoka is one of the most wildly uneven of these series in terms of directorial styles. Like, and so you have these like, weirdly like these episodes like for instance part four uh fallen jedi the one that peter ramsey did the guy who did spider-verse fucking amazing i don't think there was very many shots or even like a single shot in that that i remember that i was like oh that's the hollow green screen shit like that's the one that starts out where they're like crashed on uh the on um the planet yeah and Hu Yang, Hu Yang gets in a fucking awesome ass droid fist fight with that other droid. Yeah. Then Shin and Ahsoka take on Merrick and the or, Red or Forest. Yeah. Sabine. Yeah. Like, and then Balin and Ahsoka have their duel, and you know, then Balin fucking pimps Shin or uh, Sabine into giving him the thing. 
like that episode shot like one of the best because I went back and watched it twice again to make sure I wasn't crazy. One of the best shot like Star Wars TV series I've ever seen of episodes of Star Wars TV. Like every shot in that's great. The character arcs, their motivations, like all of it fucking great in part four. Then you yeah. look at some of the ones like the ones that Dave Filoni directed and definitely look amateurish. Like part one is a Dave <laughs> Filoni episode. And yeah. even though I love the show overall, definitely looks amateurish from when from the moment that she does the circle thing and then does drop straight down to that temple. I was like, "Ooh, you didn't know how to That's make rough. that look realer with the wires. Like, yeah, um, like unless she has a floating harness on gravity doesn't work like that anyway. But like part two, Steph Green was the other one who I thought was like a good director um, and did some like still getting there. But like part two was very competent. I forget what else Steph Green did. I was the most surprised by Rick Famuyiwa, this one. Yeah, Dave, like Dave Filoni did part five and that's pretty obvious. They gave him a lot of tricks in part six. Or no, no, he did. Uh, yeah, he no, he did five. That's the big Anakin episode. Yeah, Getzinger, Getzinger and um, Ramsey were the two best, I think. Getzinger did part six. That's where, you know, where Sabine finds Ezra and battles the bandits and all that shit. And we meet Thrawn for the first time, which still was my favorite thing. Where we see the night troopers and they're all chanting Thrawn and all that shit. Like, that was yeah, creepy. Yeah. Like, that was good. So yeah, I think Peter Ramsey was head. I think Peter Ramsey was heads above all the other directors. Like part four is in it. I think part four is up there with an Andor episode. That was the one that made me believe this could do that. But that's the only one that made me believe that. It could I, I don't do that. understand this format of having guest directors in on on these short, like premium miniseries. I don't. This is not an anthology show. This is like some CW shit where you have Kevin Smith coming in every couple episodes. Like, why are we doing this for a six episode, eight episode show? At this point, I guess Rodriguez did his own little Boba Fett thing, but that you know, you guys know my feelings on that Garbo. But <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, th- but that that was the other side of the case. Like, I'm you and I don't agree about everything on Boba Fett, but we do agree that like giving it Rodriguez went too Rodriguez with that because he had too yeah. much freedom. Little yeah. biker guys and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the spin move. Like the spin move, like, which to be fair, it was like if this was a samurai show, Boba Fett's a western, right? Like, and so it was the. Man- I don't mind people spinning. It's the execution of that sequence, right? I understand. I've all we've all seen Desperado, right? Like, I get it, but it's like this is that scene. It was just so absurdly done. It was like some. Let's awful not let's not go shit. back. We're, yeah, we're let's not go back. Let's go back. Let's go back. <laughs> I haven't got to a lower part of it of the, of the yeah. show. Like, look, I I love seeing Hayden getting his time to shine. Overdue, well deserved. I love everybody from the prequel trilogy, including Ahmed Best, getting their time to shine and getting the love and respect they deserve. I love seeing them come out in Star Wars Celebration and getting standing ovations, and then doing interviews on the center stage, the galaxy stage, and crying tears of joy. It's so awesome their appearances or anakin's appearance in the show don't know if it was entirely necessary other than look at these awesome ass fan service clone wars oh come on man which i which i love and i want that i want more of that but i don't i didn't i didn't it it was so good dude if i kind of like i just the story part of it i'm like did this actually i i understand the samurai comparison i get it but to me i guess the timing of it all too like when i watched Ahsoka, I, I was, I had rewatched scenes and read up a lot on like, you know, Ahsoka's appearances in Rebels, 
where she left off there and her role as Fulcrum there. And then also like the, the bonus sort of episodes or bonus season plus tales, I suppose of Clone Wars. And I, I didn't feel that character development. I thought where she left off was more stoic and serious. She had become this like iconic leader doing her own thing. Sure. A lone wolf, but also sort of a source of wisdom and direction for everyone in that show. So to me, like where she, she is there and where she is right now is virtually the same. I don't know. I cannot explain the white costume to gray costume to white costume shit. <laughs> Other than look, it looks cool. Um, and toys, but I didn't feel that development there. I also felt like on its own, well, the three of us, we, we saw the Clone Wars. We, we saw Rebels. I think in Kofi made this point, like at this point, you really should be watching that. Like you are missing out. You are not getting the story if you have not watched Clone Wars and Rebels or at least large key portions of that. So on its own, obviously, a lot of stuff is not, does not make sense. And, and Ben was complaining about where it left off and a lot of these arcs. I agree. I, th- I think it's weird. Like, and if you, t- if I speak to anyone who's not on Twitter, um, it's, this is a very strange, incomplete show, especially knowing it's there's no season two yet, and of course there will be. But like this show relies way too much on throwing Dave Filoni lore at you and using storytelling tricks, basically like a mystery box where they just don't tell you what's going on. They don't tell you what Thrawn's really doing, or what's really in the caskets. You have this amazing character you introduced, played by an iconic actor, rest in peace, Ray Stevenson, and the end, ending shot is him looking into the mountains of the giant statue. And sure, if you know Mortis and the Ones and all that stuff, that makes sense. But that's like, I feel like 3% of the audience. And the sword showing up out of nowhere, I get it. I saw that episode of, of Clone Wars. Yeah. But it's just a weird fucking thing. Just seeing these night, these night mothers who I don't really understand in their own context, other than I understand Dathy Mira, I've seen the show. But them just making these light triangles. And then here's this cool sword. It's a gift for you. We're going to burn your face. It's all just fucking weird. And I love the idea of them exploring and introducing more stuff in the lore and getting crazier and doing something different, especially doing something in a different galaxy and really blowing up the lore. But on its own, all of these things, I don't know if it's going to work or if it can really pay off for all for so many reasons on their own in the show, this movie they're going to do. It's, it just feels too niche within a niche at this point. On top of that, we know these stakes aren't too real because we know where we end up in a couple of years with the Disney saga trilogy. Like, is Luke going to show oh, up? Decades. Well, I mean, to be fair, yeah. there's a couple decades. All these people got to die, like, most likely. Like, they're all dead. That's it. So, like, yeah, all these heroes are going to die before. But this lore, think of the lore stuff they're doing, though. Like, if, they, if are they really going to change the way the Force works? Or are we really going to do anything? With, is, is anything of relevance going to happen in this other galaxy? Well, like, I don't think, I don't think permanently trooper. Now, no. no. Like, but here's, here's the thing. I think that on a long enough timeline, we're going to look back at Ahsoka as the fulcrum, pun intended, of a hmm. lot of Star Wars storytelling to come. Like, I, I think that Dave Filoni went back. First of all, I think I make the argument that this is going to be the best bet. Like, after this, we don't need to keep telling people to watch Rebels and Clone Wars. If you didn't do it for this, yeah. you're not going to do it. But <laughs> it has worked. Like, yeah. a lot of people have gone back. I've gotten more messages than I think I'm ever... And this is why I know this is the point to stop. I don't think there's ever going to be a year where I get more messages, personal messages, from either fans just, like, contacting me. Like, internet people never tell you you're right. I've had more people come <laughs> up to me on the internet, on Twitter, and be like, yo, man, I went back through Clone Wars or Rebels because I've been listening to your podcasters, or, or like, hell, all right, I got it. I wanted to watch Ahsoka, and I've been listening to you talk about how you had to do this. 
And I went back and yo, you were right. Like that was the best. Like, thanks. And I've just been like very fulfilled. And I've been like, okay, like it is actually getting people, even my older fucking brother's 50 years old and doesn't want to watch a star Wars cartoon in his life was like, just give me the list of fucking essential shit. I need for this <laughs> show. And so I just gave him some of the fair arcs and he came back later and was like, yo, I'm gonna check out more. This is actually pretty dope. And I'm like, okay, there you go. Like, so yeah. it did that. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of what it does is not even for this new Republic era. I think all this night sister shit, the Mortis shit, like what this has to do with is, I think a lot of this is going to go back to the shit they're doing on the bookends of these, of the franchise. I, I think, think so a lot of it too. will come up with the new Jedi order thing that Ray is doing because if they don't want to do something about the Sith all over again and all that, because that's all gone, the night sisters are an interesting pivot because they are a different application of force yeah, user power. Force, right. Yeah. I dev, I think definitely this shit, if they don't tie any of this shit back into the dawn of the Jedi story and like how the Jedi formation also result, how it was a fucking triforce of shit, like, the Jedi yeah. form, the Sith form, and then there was this in between, like with the Night Sisters or and and all of that, and the magic. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah, I assumed the Mangold movie was actually going to be set on that other planet, <laughs> like, like this. Oh, I think so too. I think yeah. it's all going to be like I think James Mangold physically and mentally wants as much space from the main <laughs> Star Wars continuity as fucking sure. possible. Um, but here, here's my point though. I am very curious, like. Uh, I'm with you, and look, we are getting mad traffic. I'm sure we all are on like Ahsoka and Star Wars content right now, of course. But even that, I'm curious, and I, I, I wonder if Disney will even share it, the number of viewers on this show. Because I bet, even if every single person who watched the show bought 10 tickets, this movie's a fucking bomb in the theaters. So my question is, because it's so weird what they're doing right now. Like Boba Fett, what they've done these characters, mm. the last season of Mando, Boba Fett, and where the show left off, and how people are kind of – some people are mixed on it. Some people love it. It's not big enough to, to greenlight a $200 million movie. This is not a billion-dollar movie story where we, we, they've set up so far. I wonder if they are going to try to bring in the big guns, where we're going to try to figure out some creative way to reference or include Leia again and bring in Luke. Which oh, you have to. Of course, right? If so, there's not a sequence where the Skywalker twins fucking pop lightsabers and fuck up a room of night troopers <laughs> – like, there is no point to this, and we will all leave being like, wow, you really just fucking didn't do it. Like, this was yeah. a me, like, because yeah. the scale of the skirmish is everything. Like, it has to be small enough to have faded by the time of the first order. It either has to be small enough to fade by the time of the first order, or has to low key be one of the main things that inspires the first order. Like, yeah, it was the example of so. Thrawn. But right. like not enough for his name to be chanted anymore, but like his ideas and his vision to have become the first order that I can get down with. But yeah, the Skywalker twins have to just show up and pop some lightsabers and go to town because right now, canonically, Leia is training with Luke. That is yeah. what is fucking laid down by Rise of Skywalker. So she's popping a lightsaber right now. That's why she's not in the Senate doing that bullshit. Mm -hmm. She's doing other shit. So... Yeah, they got to do go. that. Um, yeah, very curious. And yeah, the 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 bail and skull the cliffhanger that is insane. Like I, I don't know what they're gonna do about that. And like what a 
the most interesting character, the most interesting plot line potentially. And now they have to yeah. find a way to replace that actor somehow, which is an impossible. Some of task. it's pretty simple. I think those caskets are caskets. I think that Thrawn is going back to Dathomir because that's where the Night Sisters can draw the most power from that galaxy. Yeah. yeah. And I think their plan is to reanimate a fucking army. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Zombie army. <laughs> Great. Which is dope. I was saying if I got Maybe. all I've been saying for weeks is if I get zombie stormtroopers out of this, like I'm good. Like I'm fucking yeah. good with that. Um because yeah. you need a threat that Thrawn is actually bringing to the table that makes him different and formidable. The unification of the empire and night sisters magic is a force application that we haven't seen. It could fuck up the Sith and the Jedi. Um, But it's something that could also get taken care of in enough time that nobody fucking remembers it 30 years later when we got to do this other shit. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to see the Sith cult come in and fucking sabotage Thrawn in the end. The heroes don't even fucking win. <laughs> wasn't it, like wasn't some of the sh- fucking- I sometimes wonder yeah, with the like with the caskets and shit like that too though it's like they do look like caskets so it does seem like they're resurrecting an army but one of the other things that I thought was kind of interesting is like remember the fucking like creatures that Thrawn had in Heir to the Empire that were like force dampening do you remember the lizard things or whatever yeah so I was kind of like wondering if maybe that's where the shit's going <clears throat> like with what's in those crates but <sighs> It that could would, also be yeah. like that because they also have that, but like I don't think that there's enough Jedi now for him to specifically target Make, a weapon. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess yeah and they've so. also kind of done that in the High Republic. They've introduced this the leader of the Nihil, which I thought could be who Thrawn was working with at one point in this show. Um they they uncover a fucking ancient animal that's a basically a force eater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. But it also yeah. like makes you have like horrific nightmares before you fucking it, it just basically floods your whole soul with a dark side before it consumes you and it like interesting. It consumes the force out of you and leaves you just as a fucking shell. Like it's yeah. pretty gnarly. It kills a lot of people. It's not <laughs> Nothing's off the table anymore. That's yeah. cool. Oh no, once we get back um, to that's the high republic. Once we get back to the old there's there's fucking sentient plant monsters that are fucking completely fucking freaky and gnarly, like the Drangir. Yeah, once we get back to the old Republic and the Dawn of the Jedi, this shit's gonna get wild, bro. Like, it's, gonna be <laughs> like it's not gonna be Star Wars, like you know yeah. it. Forget all yeah. the tech stuff and the sci-fi stuff. We're going full fucking medieval fan, like sci-fi space steampunk fantasy with this shit. Pretty soon. That's cool though. Like I, I do like the aesthetic of the knights, yeah. like Balin and Shin's outfits are pretty dope. Yeah. Yeah, that stuff's cool for sure. Oh, we had um, a good idea today, and I just want to share it. I want to spread it around everywhere. Balin Skull's obviously become a much bigger figure in this. He's not, you got to do something with him. But how do you do it is the question, right? Like, the future yeah. is, uh, first of all, I said, it'd be, we said it would be dope if Ray Stevenson's star, co star from HBO's Rome, Kevin McKidd, comes back into the fray. And fucking takes over the role of Balin Skull in, in honor of Ray Stevenson. I mean, <laughs> fucking Titus Pula. I do like I mean? that. He just <laughs> oh, they're completely can, different. Yeah. But like, but it would be just yeah. dope. Like everybody who knew would like really know. Be like, oh, fucking fucking HBO's awesome show. Room. Had of Rome, time. back yeah. again. That oh, and the wire. Yeah, so ahead of other time, man. Oh, fuck. Um, That's why HBO has money now. But um, the other <laughs> idea was. 
I would totally watch a, a, a series about a younger Balin Skull flee, fleeing into the unknown regions and, and what happens to him and all that shit and get Sam Witwer to play fucking young Balin instead of fucking Starkiller. Forget the Starkiller shit. Just get Sam. Yeah, I can kind of see that. I, Balin Skull. I think for you know for the purposes, let's just call it a Soga season two right now. Uh, you know, a lot of the, the the fan casting that seems so tight right now is the Liev Schreiber one because he just looks kind of like him. If you look just at the yeah. face, oh, I said that early on. I said Liev yeah. Schreiber, like that. Was, oh, there you go. So I was that, thinking that's of TV people, like yeah, no, he's he's got the uh, uh, Ray fucking Donovan is is the person you want to get. That's the it. other one is yeah. um, Titus Welliver would be my other one. Oh, Titus Welliver would be cool. Yeah, that's, that's an outside cool. pick. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. He doesn't have a statue. He's a short. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but that's why I said like Liev Schreiber's my tall guy, like opposing pick. Titus Welliver's just a guy. If you shot him from the chest up, it's just somebody who a lot of people probably wouldn't be able to distinguish from Ray Stevenson if he did it right. Interesting. What if you just cast another Punisher actor? So you add like Thomas Jane or Dolph Lundgren. (laughs) (laughs) No, I've seen Expendables four. No Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren is just. Full on fucking physicist at this point. Like, yeah, he needs to just go be a scientist. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's just fucking the... movies. But like, yeah, I'll <laughs> take a... Thomas Jane. That'd be another good reference. I saw someone suggest Gerard. Or, or, no, you, you know, oh fuck, so we, we said Russell Crowe too. But, um, um, no, <laughs> fucking uh, Dominic West, Jimmy McNulty from The Wire. Oh uh, yeah, Dominic West would be. Good. He's got some mad facial features that are very unique, though. He just, he just looks like a different person. Some of these castings remind me of that one dude in Game of Thrones they recast when they took out our boy from Deadpool at screen. They replaced him with oh, a guy that right. was totally different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he went from like <laughs> Legolas to a guy with a beard and black hair. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> that was really oh, fucking yeah, weird. The though. They, no, so... the guy they replaced with him. Oh, what's he from too? Oh, he's in a lot. He's in that, he was in that he was rom-com, in, or not rom-com. He was that. Um, <laughs> he was in Orphan Black for a while. You know what I'm talking about, man? Yeah, yeah. He was the love interest in Orphan Black. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, but that's like you know what I mean. It's like it's like swapping Legolas and Aragorn halfway through the Lord of the Rings. Be like, yeah, they, they, you know that's Legolas now. It's like, wait, what? That's what it looked like to me. But yeah, it'd be like Lethal it's Weapon a, Six. So he was like the father, right? <laughs> I fucking fucking forget what that guy's name was, but. Oh, it was, wait, uh, wait, wait. Michael, Michael Heisman or something like Heisman. Yeah, Michael I don't know Heis- how No, it's a strangely Middle Eastern sounding name. Michael Husmin or something. Yeah, like Husmin, yeah. yeah. Poor Ed Screen. Yeah, that was him. Um, wait, wait. Kofi saw Expendables 4? Uh, rapid Fire? Give us a, a 30 second bomb yeah. review of that. Yeah, he was in Treme. He was in. She's ignoring me. He was in a lot of shit. Oh no! no I hear you. I'm, I'm about to. I'm about to go. Oh, sorry, that. sorry. I'm about to do it. I'm excited. I hear you. I'm, I'm trying. I'm still. I'm not trying to get lost. I'm trying to look up Michael Huisman. Huisman. Yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing whatever. Like, Expendables whatever for made seen. fucking twenty three million dollars worldwide. Wow. Uh, fuck, dude. It's it made the figure I've seen thirteen million. Here I was doing a report on uh, Eli Roth's Thanksgiving, and I was trying to see what all the Grindhouse movies have made. They have all made dog shit. Uh, Hobo yeah. with Shotgun didn't even crack a million. Damn. Oh, wow. Yeah. This right. is like this is like COVID, like post-COVID world. That we've talked about this before, but it really is interesting. Like, if a movie picks up momentum, it like goes for fucking ever. But these like movies just can't break through 
like people like I don't know exactly what it is anymore. It's like people don't look at like the weekend and be like, oh, I'm going to go see whatever's playing in theaters. It's like people just like rally around. Well, when it's expendables and it's fucking trash. Yeah, I mean, yeah, fair, fair. I mean, fair. no doubt, right? All right, like, rapid fire. Um, oh, sorry, yeah, that four. It is trash. Hey. Let's talk about Zencaster. Rob, what is Zencaster? Oh, that's a great question, Ben. Zencaster, which we use to record Podcast X currently exclusively in audio form, is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides, as you know from listening, high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard in your browser. Being a creator like us has never been easier. Zencaster lets you do everything you need to podcast from recording to publishing all in one place. That all is very exciting, Rob. So Zencaster, if you want to sound your best, Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. A frequent problem that we run into is when we come onto this podcast to record, my levels are usually all messed up. With Zencaster, we're able to adjust loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a single click of the button. Back when we were recording the Screen Man Underground podcast, this was like a seven-step process for us. While Podcast X currently only has two hosts and one rotating chair as a special guest, Zencaster lets you record up to 11 participants. Think of it. All of Ben's girlfriends in one place. Coordinating all of these guests, 11 participants at once, has never been easier. Just one click. I will say, though, as the person who has to edit this podcast and cut everything together, my favorite part and the thing that saves our ass time and time again is that it's a cloud backup system. So while you're recording, it records backups to the cloud as well as locally, which if you know from listening to the podcast, Kofi unplugs his mic. We've had some issues in the past with Zencaster. Not a problem. To try this yourself, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use the code PODCASTX and you'll get 30% off your first three months with Zencaster Professional. We want you to have the same easy experiences we do for all of our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. That's Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use the code PODCASTX. It is trash. Like the franchise, and <laughs> I was talking about this review in Comic Book Nation. And I was talking about us because I was saying, ironically, when we first had to review this movie in 2010, we all went into it. We were just really getting into a screen rant, and like it was during the writer's strike that that movie had to be developed. Oh. And but the trailers oh, no. looked dope. Yeah. They had that red band trailer. It was crazy. But then we all got in theater and actually saw it, and we're just like, "What the fuck?" That was one time. I, that was the other time besides <laughs> Green Lantern in the 2010s that I almost got up and walked out of something immediately because I forget. Ben, did I go see that with you? Like I forget. I went. No, I went with Sule. I went with a bunch of people. Oh, I went with Sule and a bunch of people. This is the first one, right? Yeah, the very first one. And Sly Stallone directed it, and I don't think he's directed anything since because he was just <laughs> like, even he it was just like, oh, oh yeah, no, no, we're, we're back. So like, it was 
terrible. Like it was di- the direction on that. If you go back and watch the first Expendables, the direction looks like some student film. Like that is just it, oh, it's eighties trash horrible. for sure. No, that's what I'm saying. It's not even an eighties movie. The next one, Expendables Two, is the only one that's an actual eighties movie because they got like what Simon West or somebody to direct mm. that and like. Like he actually directed an eighties movie. The first one's a fucked up student film that looks like they let the drunk student hold the camera. Like it's really fucking nuts. But anyway, so that was never a high bar. The Expendables has always been a dream more than anything else. It's been like an idealistic dream of what we were going to see than the actual experience. Um, except for except for Expendables two, which lets you pop off in your pants with well, Scott Atkins, baby, Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis. Well, yes, Scott yeah. Atkins for you, but Bruce Willis, <laughs> Schwarzenegger, and uh, Chuck Norris, all Chuck Norris, all popping off. It got everybody. Um, Expendables three tried to do the new school thing and like uh, uh, got all and PG thirteen. Remember that PG thirteen? Yeah, that got real stupid. Yikes! Um, yeah, that was dumb. But uh, Expendables 4 has entered the realm of just straight up self parody. Oh, um, yeah, these movies are now self parodies. Like, there's half of the lines in this movie from the older castmates because they're still doing the mix of the old and the new school. So that's why you got like 50 Cent and right. Megan Fox and some other guy, um, the Latin kid who's. Oh, and that, 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 um, what's his face? Garcia, right? Andy Garcia. Uh, no, no, not Garcia. It's um, Sk- Skippy. What's his name? Skippy or some shit or whatever. Uh, yeah. It, I forget his exact. I'll have to look it up in a minute. But um, yeah, he's in it. And you got uh, Tony Jaw making an appearance. And Tony Jaw's funny as hell. Like in this, like he's a crazy guy who killed so many people that he just became like traumatized by it and so he's trying to like live a peaceful life and like <laughs> not kill people and he's like totally the zen guy now until of course he has to come back and kill people um and you find out why he was so good at it and so yeah it, it, it's self-parody like half the lines in this from the older cast are just about their dicks failing like literally it's just oh, it's boy. old men my dick or balls don't work anymore. Just oh, no. like Andy Garcia's first line in this movie is like, Hey Barney, how they hang in. He was like, not good. It's like some of them. I got like something, something <laughs> in one of them. And he's like, yeah, that happens. <laughs> oh my he's God. Like, he's like, as long as you keep, uh, it's like something like as long as you keep busted or some shit like that. And that's like their Jesus. first line to each other. And that happens a lot. Like, Half of Randy uh, Randy Couture's lines in this are are people coming up to him, looking at him, being like, "The fuck is wrong with your ears?" And You're him still doing that? Like, oh boy! Oh yeah, and and him just doing like the whole. Thank you for asking me. I wrestle. And every time when you get older, you know, a common form of wrestling is cauliflower ears. And like Fifty Cent, like everybody does this in the movie, like everybody. So. Yeah, it's now self-parody. It's a lot of them, Statham, ragging on them for being old while they're still like, you're the most handsome one here, like, and all this shit. And so, like, it knows it's a fucking joke at this point. It knows these guys don't have actual action, like, action acting prowess except for Statham and, like, Tony Job, basically, anywhere. And so they're just kind of having fun with it, so to speak, at this point. 
Um, there's one reason why they made this movie and one reason only it's for the extensive shots of Megan Fox. We didn't even talk about Ahsoka and its achievement of making star Wars, the sexiest it's ever been. You guys said (laughs) nothing about the fucking ass shots in this, in in that show. They even made sure to get one more of Hera in before the end in the finale. We got one more new jacket. (laughs) Yep. So, like, we didn't even talk about that. That's how far I'm slipping tonight. But, yeah, Soka made Star Wars sexy. Got to give its points for that. But, um, yeah, Megan Fox and gratuitous just camera time on Megan Fox is why this movie exists at all, pretty much. I kid you not when I tell you the final shot of this movie, and I'm sure when the Internet has had time to digest this, you're going to see it all over your TikToks, reels, gifs, and everything else. The final shot of this movie, when they have the big expendables, let's all meet up for a drink in the bar afterward shot, has Megan Fox come out from the bathroom wearing a white fucking tight-ass tank top with no bra whatsoever in the first <laughs> shot when she walks out what of the, the bathroom. Fuck? Okay. Like, I guarantee you, you're going to... I'm telling you now, mark this in your thing, because you're going to forget about it. It's a a (laughs) insignificant piece of information that I'm telling you, but when you see that shit on reels, TikToks, and fucking things, when it's just like Megan Fox with a bunch of fucking thirst emojis and shit like that, like, mark your words that your old pal Kofi told you here first. (laughs) It's the end of the movie. She walks out of the bathroom with a white tank top on with no fucking bra. And it is just like tits and nips, just like crazy to the point where I wasn't even like a thirsty guy anymore. I was like a concerned dad. I was like, what? <laughs> what? I was just like, uh, like this is getting uncomfortable. Like cut, cut the camera, cut the camera. Like, and they finally do. And then when they come back, like she obviously has like put on a bra. Like it's, it's, it's hilarious. Oh so just, watch, just watch the end scene. Because of, yeah, it's just like it's still it's still like oh my god, but like they obviously some guy came on said was like yeah guys like we're gonna put <laughs> you're a, too old for this shit yeah <laughs> yeah we're gonna put a bra on this shit like like guys come on like yeah because it, it's but like yeah it's just a Mega Fox and listen people are mocking her and stuff but Mega Fox let's be honest Mega Fox is visually that hot to just like say she's an elite command not even part of but commander that's the whole story premise she's with Stacey, but she's the competing commander with him for the to take over the expendables after barney like she's his competition <laughs> she's megan fox's jason statham's physical competition for the leader of the expendables <laughs> in this movie that's the premise. i saw i saw that clip a long time ago of like their their fight that's the trailer, dude. Them just yeah, sex that what it is. yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah. And, it, and that's weirdly, huge. that's actually really entertaining because there's this thing that they do where like it flips it like they keep flipping. They keep like flirting and flipping, flirting and flipping. And they actually get all the way into the bed and he like flips her into the bed in a position where he's like on top of her. And she's like, what do you think you're doing? Like, you know, first things first. And she like, like does this move to like basically like shove his dead head down between her legs 
And like, <laughs> wow, the way they cut the scene. But I'm saying, like, it's actually the most intricate, like, well shot part of the movie because Maybe these guys should make Star Wars. Flipping, yeah, they they like kind of do the fucking John James Wan fast uh, F set or uh, Furious Seven thing, where like when they're flipping what? each other, like when you, when the Rock is Stath- you know you know what I'm talking about the Rock and Statham are fighting and like, yeah. the camera like turns and like does that flip when like one of them gets knocked over. It does that shit. So, like, while they're flipping over, the camera like turns and like flips, and that's how you see them land in the bed. And then it just kind of like when she knocks them down between her legs, it like transitions into like him like flipping off her underwear or some shit like that. Oh my god, what the fuck? And, like the camera, but the camera goes up to the underwear, like hitting the fan, and then it cuts to like after the sex scene while the what a great script standing on the fan. And like it comes back down to them. It's actually a really cool shot. Like it's actually really. I was like, it's the obviously it's the one that stuck in my mind that I was like, oh, that's actually pretty creative. Like yeah, because yeah, like the underwear Dude. on the fan, and then it cuts down, and like it goes back down. She's like, where is my underwear? And he's like, look it up. Like uh, and like yeah, it's fucking yeah. It was a creative shot, but like the point is, Megan Fox is that hot, and you're just like. I'll never get to hang out with you in real life, so let's just give me a lingering shot on you and let's take right. that and call it a day. And that's what this movie's built on. Ooh, man. Yeah. So you what can a call legacy. it Megan. You can call it Megan with like a four somewhere <laughs> four. In there instead of the E. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, or for yeah. the A, I guess it would be Megan. Do you have <laughs> We still we still have to get through the we still have to get through the creator and Loki. Wait, wait, rapid fire, Paw Patrol, the money movie. You guys take your kids to see this? Um, yeah, I, I did. Didn't. Let's see. Yeah, I wanted to, okay. I wanted to. Yeah, I wanted to look like a hero. Goddamn right, I did. Yeah. Okay. So I, I quite love the, the first movie. The second one starts off a little slow. There's not much of the pups. The villains okay. Uh, they, they, there's they really in the marketing push up like the, the cameos, which are barely existing. Like Chris Rock has like yeah. five words. It was just absurd that he's like gets his poster for that. Um, but the back half, especially the third act, really makes up for it. Um, I do find they it do weird they went dirty. You think so? I thought that I, I love that shit. What do you mean? Oh, they do this guy so dirty. Like, oh my god, she fucks up twice in this movie. The oh yeah, but she, but she, dude, she becomes fucking Superman by the end of it, though. Like, spoiler. Um, I no, I you're right, they do, but sort of Chase in the first time around, right? I like that idea of like them. Well, Chase was just a pussy in the first time. Sky like actually made like conscious decisions and like really fucked over her team. It's true. Okay. I get it though, because she's like trying to overcome being the smallest and feeling she's failing, whatever. And then she and and I do like that by the end of it though, she has like the most badass sequences in her vehicle oh, yeah, and then using the powers, and it's like fucking awesome. Like that that last sequence. Ben is super hyped right the, now. The last, <laughs> all I would say was, as a parent, like the last, the climactic act is a little bit harrowing for the kids. Like both of my kids. Oh, are like, I mean, they're, they're, they're there's dark visuals for sure. Like when she's falling or whatever, right? But um, yeah, just uh, basically a huge rock and being like, oh, everything's over. Oh shit, there's an extinction level event coming our way and being like, yeah, oh, dude, it's a beautiful shot though. But, oh, it is. That's what like my, the whole yeah. fucking thing about no pup too small and all that shit. Like, yeah, awesome scene. Like, like my tear jerking. Over to me both times like, I saw it. Yeah, my son leaned over to me. He was like, is Sky dead? And I was like, oh, God, <laughs> Jesus, I don't know. Hold on a um, sec. I don't think so. 
it, but it's a good point though. I, I do find it weird they went straight from the first movie. Like the first movie, they go to the city, right? And it's a, they want to increase the scale yeah. and scope, make it cinematic. And they for the sequel, they went straight to the Mighty Pop superhero powers, which is to me a bold move because I kind of it makes it a challenge for them going forward. Where now the expectation is they all have superpowers. They don't need vehicles. They're not regular rescuers anymore. They're super pups or whatever. And I asked the I asked the writing director about that this week actually. But um, so that was weird to go straight to that for the second movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, they really they need more shots of like the, the pups just hanging out and getting up to their antics and being rescuers. And certainly, some of the OGs were underserved. Um, for you Paw Patrol fans out there, you know what I'm talking about. Where's Zuma at? Where's Rocky? Um, but uh, yeah, anyways, uh, cool ass movie by the end of it, and I'm uh, excited for the third Rocky's one. Rocky's in it a couple times. He he does. He can think a couple moments, but hey, like Zuma, Zuma, do you even see him do anything with his vehicle? Not a single thing he does with that vehicle. No, he has a cool moment. He gets the gems. No. They don't even have the snow pup in here. Like I actually asked the director. I said, where the fuck is Everest and Tracker and Rex and Al and Wildcat? Where are my peeps at? And they said, maybe you'll see some familiar faces the next time around. But it's true. Even with Seven, they barely, some of them don't barely get screen time. So I get it. It's, it's a challenge to balance them all out when they're focusing on one story at a time. So I wonder which character will get all the backstory in the third movie, which is already confirmed for 2026, by the way. They announced that just before this hit theaters last week. So there you go. That's your rapid fire Paw Patrol minute, Ben. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, no, that's all right. Uh, we're getting through a lot here. So we have uh, we have the creator. All of us went and saw the creator. Um, mm-hmm. Gareth Edwards' new new film, sort of like has kind of like a district District Nine vibe, but with robots. Um, I so I know one of your colleagues, Kofi Outlaw, said this was possibly the best movie of twenty twenty three. If I oh and you know you also know what I mentioned you on the side because I don't know who listens to this you know these comic book fools be creeping out here so if you guys you creeps are listening like I'm not gonna tell you what was said but you guys know what I texted you about that whole thing and my point to you was it is a double edged sword when you get these quotes and commercials people don't understand that not even some yeah. people who get their quotes on commercials understand the double edged sword of it. But, yeah. like, you got to be careful what you say. I know <laughs> that people like to say the things that get them on commercials. <laughs> but, Billboards, I, too. You guys not, everywhere. Yeah, I know. But, like, you you got to stand on that after that. It's like if somebody were to give, like, <laughs> Some of those Transformer movies, like four stars, or, some <laughs> shit, like, or say oh, that, or say that Thor four was the best, uh, the best Thor movie, or the funniest Thor. I can't remember what my quote. Oh was, yeah, but, uh, I have a screenshot. Yeah. Oh, no. that, did not, that did not age yeah, well. We, that one, yeah. There's some other people we have that have like Doctor Strange two quotes, like, and proud of you for that. But like, time is time, man, and like, time <laughs> is gonna get you, and you, you, you said, oh, what happened? So. For all the people who think I'm dancing around it, here's what we're saying in, in the plainest, non-specific innuendo terms. Uh, somebody close to me in the industry, a colleague, had a very big statement and quote about the creator, and it came out, and I went to a screening, and now I went to a Thursday night screening, as I said. we I went to see the creator, then I went to see Saul. And at the end of my creator screening in the darkened theater, as soon as the end credits still started to roll, this is totally random, has nothing to do with me. I'm not making this up. I texted these guys as soon as it happened. 
somebody screamed out in the theater <laughs> that this person, this colleague of mine, had lied in this statement and was very angry and animate about this in the theater. Like, that this person had lied to them and that this review quote that's being broadcast everywhere was not as accurate as this viewer, particular viewer, thought it should be to the film they had just watched. That's yeah. all I'm going to say in the most diplomatic sense. And I didn't I talk feel- any shit... I didn't say anything bad, right, guys? I just told you. No, you didn't say. No, yeah, you didn't tell. I just, I felt like the best way to frame this conversation was to say that, I mean, there were people that felt like this was one of the better movies of the year. And like, I I went into it with like kind of middling expectations, I would say. Like, I really like Gareth Edwards, a lot of his, a lot of his, I mean, Monsters is still one of my favorite movies. And um, I mean, there's a lot that I, I actually really, really like about this. So I feel like I'm on the more positive side. I just, I would not have said that it was probably the best movie of the year, but I definitely, I was, I saw it in IMAX. I was taken with the visuals and the sound design, like some of the characters and performances are, I think, I think really, really strong, but just the vision of the world, like it really did remind me a lot of like district nine and that it's sort of like gritty and, you know, it's kind of this sort of weird sort of version, like kind of flashy, beautiful version of the future, like cyberpunk version of the future, but is also kind of, you know, like grimy and and very like militaristic. And, but like when they had that scene on the bridge with those like weird, like giant, like tub robots and stuff, and they came running out. And I mean, I thought all that stuff was like really inventive and the big sort of like scorpion looking tank thing. I thought all that stuff was cool. And the story is like, exactly i mean it's very predictable in a lot of different ways but i still really enjoyed the characters and watching that relationship develop and i mean the visuals are just great i mean the visuals really did impress me quite a bit i think it's a beautifully shot film but i sold somebody as a sci-fi version of the golden child with eddie murphy <laughs> yeah i could i could definitely see that i could definitely see that <laughs> it's just i mean it, you can tell you know where it's going i just and i don't know if by the end of it it executes that very well but i think moment to moment like i was i was invested in and i cared about the characters and i was i was like interested to see and i it does i mean movies like this hit differently when you become a parent for sure you know like i i did yeah. sort of feel watching it like a connection to that relationship and to sort of you know the the willingness to sort of sacrifice oneself uh, for someone you you didn't you, didn't, you went think, there with it. I think that's where it lost me. I think now mm. I've seen a lot of movies, like I said, Rapid Succession. So I think this and Exorcist Believer are two movies where I just saw the director, who was also one of the writers, just kind of like strangle themselves with a convoluted premise that didn't need to be there. Like yeah, like you take out one character and this movie's ten times better. The Exorcist believer kind of collapses because the two possession thing doesn't work. Like you don't have enough time to get people to care about both. One of these girls is obviously made to seem more important than the other right from the fucking opening scene of the movie. Right. So it's kind of hard to really care about both And the creator. I'm just going to say, and I'm sorry. There's also a lot of times like I'm just, maybe it's just a place I'm in right at the moment, but like, it's just like, I'm in this place of assessing what's happened on a macro scale. Um, 
and there's a lot to assess on the macro scale here. Like poor Gemma Chan. I don't know what gypsy woman she offended back in the uh, day, yeah. but like yeah. her presence is not doing good for movies. <laughs> like, and she's no. great, like yeah. fine actress, but like every time she's in a movie, it's like, I don't know if this movie is going to be okay, except for crazy rich agents. Right. Like that's the only one. Well, and in doing- whatever movie she's in, she gets like a role where she barely gets to say anything. And like, yeah. I mean, she's, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We don't, I mean, you know, I don't know, whatever spoilers for creator, but like, I mean, they basically fridge that character, right? Like that's the, that's the whole well, that, sort no, of motivating they don't fridge factor. her. Like it's not even a fridge. It's just like they, the movie fucks itself because as somebody pointed out on our podcast, like on comic nation, like, this guy, you're supposed to be invested in this guy, this daddy daughter relationship. But half yeah. the time, the dad is like, man, fuck this kid. I'm just trying to bang my <laughs> wife again one more time. Like, right. that's what his motivation is. <laughs> and then there's this whole, like, pseudo mystery right. of is this a real thing or is this guy just out of his fucking mind with grief and loss? Like, yeah. is finding the wife an actual attainable goal or is it not? And I think like her presence in the movie, her continued presence in the movie is what fucks it. Like if you just took her out of it and made her like gone and him having to deal with this last part of her, which is the classic story, right? Like for this kind of like kid story, like it's supposed to represent a kid they lost or some part of a partner. You can't, that, that is only exists still in this child. That's the whole point of it. Like, and so, yeah, by adding back the wife, you completely undermine the kind of the power of that story because half of the, in, in this movie, like this guy's whole thing. And I think beginning to think that this is a tick with Gareth Edwards. It's not really about <laughs> any of his stories. Like, and this is what I meant on the, on the macro sense. Like I was a big stumper for Gareth Edwards. We saw like, we literally helped push this guy's career. Like yeah. we saw monsters and we were one of the first big outlets to see monsters push it. I interviewed him at New York Comic Con. Still Dude, one of my favorite yeah. interviews. The three of us yeah. did that panel. Remember that? We sat there and watched yeah. him do his like yeah. pull out his laptop, just, just show out of, yeah. Scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw the yeah, monsters yeah. panel. We promoted the shit out of this guy. Um, and he's a good guy. I'm not saying anything bad about him at all. But it's interesting to go back and hear him because that that whole interview we did with him was about him loving. He was part of that school of guys who came out in the 2010s. It was him. It was um, Colin Trevorrow. It was Neil Blomkamp. It was, uh, I always forget, um, my guy who did a Chronicle in Fantastiful. Yeah. Trank. Josh Trank. Josh Trank. Josh Trank. Right. And they all kind of like crashed and burned for the most part. Trevor did the best with Jurassic World and all that, but like, he didn't get his Star Wars movie like Gareth Edwards had like got the struggles of Godzilla and, and Rogue One like Neil Blomkamp hasn't been able to fucking I mean, there's a lot of this movie that felt like just a better like a pretty, pretty better conceived version of Elysium and some of the concepts in Elysium. Um, but like. Yeah, all those guys have kind of like weirdly crashed and burned in the studio yeah. system and this movie was like Gareth Edwards first time out of director jail since 2016. Yeah. Like when he was the one of the most promising guys, <clears throat> but at the same time, I got to keep it real. Like I, I beginning to see 
this monsters Godzilla and Rogue One tell the story. Like the guy is kind of muddled about he's a guy who needs us. He, he needs like a really clear, good writer with him to kind of like an yeah. editor with him. Like he's too muddled with his own vision. He had too much control over this story again. And the story's too muddled. And I think the guy just needs a healthy relationship. Like every one of his movies is about like this relationship that this, that can never really fully manifest itself. Right. Either because of physical distance or some kind of contextual distance monsters about a girl who is looking for her boyfriend. Right. Like in, but she falls for the photographer or some shit like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, but it's a relationship that they never really do get together by the end. I think the most they do is hug before they get fucking killed. Right. And in Godzilla, it's a husband and wife who never really get together because he's spending his time trying to get back to her in fucking rogue one Cassian and Jin can't fucking get over their shit and get together. And now we got this movie where this guy's hunting his <laughs> that's true. baby dead wife. I and thought, it's just like, yeah, I fucking thought this, about that. That's true. But like, this guy's got to let this shit go. Like, he's got to stop fucking filtering this into his movies. Like, and I don't know if you can, because really, as we've been to Brighty School, Ben, like, we know, like, you really only have one story that you tell over and over in different ways. Steven Spielberg is still winning Oscars for being traumatized by his parents' divorce, right? Uh, also, we learned his dad was a cuck and his mom was banging his best friend, which was... <sighs> I don't know if I ever needed to know that, but I just knew the guy made movies about divorce. That's, that was good enough for me. I didn't need... Uh, well, What was that movie that just came out? I'm already forgetting it. The Findlemans, or what was that called? Uh, Fablemans. Oh, Fablemans. Fablemans, yeah. yeah. Holy shit. God damn. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I did not need to know all that. But uh, yeah, but Gareth Edwards obviously has like an unrequited love issue that he really needs to maybe. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but it is true. All those movies. dragging down his movies. Yeah. Like, yeah. <sighs> well, okay, so Rob is seeing this the most. Because you saw it today. Is that right? I did. I, yeah, I saw it just before you recorded because I uh, yeah. did the Paw Patrol thing this weekend. Um, yeah. Look, I I know your colleague said it's the best movie of the year. I might say it's the best crafted film of the year. And if anything, oh, Gareth yeah. is a, such a passionate auteur of the craft. The way he you see him in the red carpet talking about how he used like this like thirty eight hundred dollar Sony camera to make an eighty million dollar film. It's just amazing the reasons why you can see it. It's because it's lightweight. He held it. He's the he's not just the director. He's like the DP. He's holding the fucking camera in the mud, which is awesome. I love that. Yeah. He did that with a lot of the Rogue One shots too. Um, and it captures light at night. So a lot of these natural shots, things we complain about all the time, about these dark shots, you can't see shit. There's a lot of sequences in the evenings, in the water, with weird lights or dynamic lights or, or limited light. And it, you can see everything. The the framing and of every shot. of color. No, no. Like, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Of every color. That um, yeah, yeah. That shit's not easy. That shit's not easy at all. That's it. And then the way – yeah, he, uh, like the way uh, – the way he gets – he can capture a facial expression of someone 
or dynamic. He makes everything so much more complicated than it used to be. Like even simple shots, like imagine the, the, the vault opening when John David Washington's character opens the vault, like the beautiful shot of, the, of like the, 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 the steps up to it, the outer rim moving, all of that dynamicism to the thing opening. Then it switches camera. You see the inside of the second door opening. It's like, I, there's not one fucking shot in Ahsoka that matches any of the shit that's happened in the last five minutes of a dude walking into a room, hitting a button, the door opening, the intrigue, the character walking up, the reveal. Like I, Holy fuck, let him do more Star Wars. Even if Tony Gilroy took over the reshoots for Rogue One, Gareth can do shit that nobody in Disney Plus can do. Um, and I love that. So I, if anything, I'm happy he was able to, to do a project that was not hijacked. He did the indie thing with monsters. There's unreported things that happen with Godzilla reshoots uh, similar to Rogue One. We can talk about that off the air. And then there's the Rogue One thing, which is very well documented in public. But he was a trooper, and he still did the junkie for that film. He still listed as a director. He did good work on that film. Gilroy was the closer and is following up with Andor, of course. So Gareth doing this, I think, is awesome. So I kind of love it for that reason. I was really captivated watching this. It was just cool and fun and raw and, and just so gorgeous in every possible way. Uh, but you're right. In terms of story, there's some weird things. Like the weird reun- reuniting at the ending is just weird. And the, the I feel like the middle act of the film. Uh, yeah, that was a payoff for him, man. Like 100%. But also, it, it's a weird, it's a cheap payoff for the audience too. And uh, my, my biggest problem though is, is the father-daughter relationship because it, in the third act, it works well. And I, I felt the emotions and the performances are so great. Gareth can capture emotion, unlike Ahsoka, any of the directors, but the, the middle act of this film, there's like a plotting issue or missing pages or missing sequences. I feel like it skips a couple of beats, and I, I feel like there's some missing elements of, no, of they the relationship cut, building. No, no, no. They cut shit from this movie. Like, 100%. For sure. it, it is weird, the second act. And, um, yeah, and then the, you know, yeah. also the, the, the premise of the film is, it is, is there's this uh, – I mean, I guess we're talking spoilers. But there's obviously this horrendous act caused by what they think is an act of AI. And then in one throwaway line – they're like, no, no, it was human error caused this thing. And they never touch upon that again. I'm like, wait, what? This entire universe you built is kind of tossed aside in one throwaway line that was never followed up or mentioned again. And I'm like, that recontextualizes everything we thought about you know, the, the Western civilization, the, 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 the attack invading forces. It's like at first you're kind of like, oh, I understand what they're doing. Imagine – that happened in, in 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 your city world or country or to your family i get it i would be on a vengeance streak as well but then someone doesn't tell you that it was your fault all along it's just it's like a huge fucking yeah. dangling plot point I thought they just leave that's so that was weird because like it i mean almost without without example that i can think of is like none of the like like robot characters are like malevolent like they're all sort of pure of heart and like I guess you could make the argument that's because they're almost like a you know they're an evolved form of humans and they you know they're wiser or something like that but it it yeah you're led to believe that they like they're almost like the terminator you know judgment day shit at the beginning of the movie and then that turns out to be like a misunderstanding it's like I don't know I I was more interested in a world where there was a little bit more like things weren't so black and white in terms of like you know the USA people are bad and like, you know, the robots are good. And it's like, I don't know. There was seemed like there's more room to play in the university set up there. And I was actually disappointed by that reveal because I felt like it took, it took some of the yeah, I, yeah. dynamic it, or whatever. Well, I think they're just, I think we're doing a sci-fi parable where like, 
I mean, from obviously from like the casting that they chose to like totally, how this yeah, is yeah. set, and like there there is a a racism, xenophobic, and fucking obvious metaphor. One hundred percent, right? Yeah, for sure. Allison yeah. Janey's character is like. Karen is military Karen, right? <laughs> Even the hair. And she's just like, and she's just like, but her whole, but she's so good at it. She, yeah, like her and sure. Susan, I don't think actresses like her and Susan Sarandon, who did Blue Beetle, are getting enough credit for like quickly catching up with the cultural, with the cultural totally. lens of yeah. how like the Karen and, and what that really is signifying culturally that we've never talked about before and the role of white women and the power they have to like get people Emmett tilled and all that shit. Right. Like that's yeah. a real thing that we're just now bre- breaching, but like her whole straight faced attitude of going in and being like, what are you doing? We're just turning off machines like, and we're coming in and we're just going to, eliminate and like you said these worlds that we live in for a minute that are so well built and alive with these machine characters and she comes in and she's like no we're laying all these people down they're machines they're not people like what are you doing fucking eliminate them like let's go and it's just like the horror of that was i think a good reflection of how like you know i mean not to bash the country i live in but America does do this otherness stuff like yeah, yeah for sure really well in in the in the Asiatic region Middle Eastern region of the world quite often um, is part of our history and it's just kind of like that's how we view things just go in and these aren't these aren't people we're hurting you know like these are these savages and like that's what I, we're doing <sighs> and so like yeah I mean I got it's, that part of it. Yeah, I mean, it's very yeah. Uh, I kind of love the idea of, of of introducing a cinematic AI that's not awful, right? It's yeah, kind of yeah. a neat thing. And it's you don't becoming, see it. It's becoming more and more prevalent, though. Like, I think our under because you know, like our fear is our prime primal fear. But like, I think I point to like Westworld has been, I think, was one of the good ones to kind of yeah, for sure. Explore this idea that like machines automatically aren't going to look at us and think like kill them like let's yeah, just yeah. eliminate them um i think it's like the matrix they look at us and they'll be like oh this will be useful as a battery right like yeah. and it's humans like that think like oh shit this is scary or even if machines were like hey we don't actually need to harm humans we can just do our own thing and humans might live and humans might die but that has shit to do with us like yeah. we're just not gonna it's, fucking I, get involved in all that but humans would still see them. And this is, again, I don't know if you're not a minority that you don't understand this, but like, you know, Watchmen, like the Tulsa massacre, right? Yeah. People now know about that, but I don't think people fully understand the context that like Tulsa, Oklahoma was home to what was called black wall street, which was the, one of the most prominent economic bases in America at that time. It was a bunch of black people who didn't just live together. They had created one of the wealthiest and wealth generating, like best wealth generating epicenters of America at the time. So like when they killed all those people, it wasn't just like this massacre that happened. A lot of people have this suspicion that like the reason why 
they sanctioned the use of bombing, of aerial bombing on that town and on that black section of town was to destroy this economic base. Right. And there are other examples right. like Harlem, Harlem, right? The Harlem Renaissance used to be a thing. So what the fuck happened to Harlem? Well, it got flooded with drugs, then crackdowns, and then the culture kind of was like bled out of it. And it was like, was that natural or was that because people began to be like certain forces were like, oh, there's an economic base there and, and a cultural base and it's becoming self-sustaining. And then these people are gaining all this kind of economic power. We don't like that and we don't want that. So, yeah. I think that there is a lot of that at work in the creator. And I think it is smart about that, like kind of that subtext that like, yeah, even if robots just did their own thing and we're on their, on their own and just like, fuck it, we're just going to make our own shit totally pop. Like humans would sit around and be like, I mean, that's what the government is, right? Like our government is just sits around and goes, those people are doing something over there, but we don't know what they're doing. But how do we know they're not going to do it to us? And we're like, sir, yeah. we have no indication they've ever done anything to us. But we don't know that they're not going to do it to us, right? Yeah, if we don't do we know, know for yeah. a certainty, that's a complete thing. That's the fucking Batman Superman, right? If less yeah, than 100% yeah, yeah, sure. certainty, then it's like a blah, blah, blah. Then it's a certain he will like do it. And then like that's how fucking shit gets nuts. And they would new start nucleing the fucking planet to stop the imaginary robot takeover. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I found all that super plausible. Like, as a future, as a possible future, this seemed very, very plausible from that standpoint. Like, I definitely, I definitely buy that. Uh, I think the timing of the AI part of it is interesting, just given all the controversy of AI, and obviously even the strikes right now in our yeah. business. Like, the writers just ended or is ending. The SAG strike, a lot of it's one of the ten pole argument points, uh, points of negotiation is, is regarding AI. And of course, and like AI is such a developmental hot thing right now after crypto and metaverse. Now AI is the current buzz thing everyone's developing. And I love the idea that there's a positive outcome for the endpoint of true AI. But of course, the, the the evolution of AI is going to be full of problems. We're seeing it right now. I mean, there's that AI Seinfeld shit when it immediately went full racist. And it's like, there's that famous glitch, or I guess it's more of a hoax in civilization where there's a Gandhi character and the AI <laughs> turned Gandhi into a nuclear warmonger. It's like, <laughs> it's like you know what I mean? It's like AI all along the way. <laughs> well, of Dude, course, Tom Hanks... Right as we record this, Tom Hanks is having to go out and physically tell people that this thing that is using his him as a fo- donation driver for this fucking supposed fund. Oh, it happens to Mr. Beast and it's, as well. Yeah, and it's it's an AI and it's not really him. And it's just like, yeah, we're already in this battle, man. Like, it's, so I hope it comes out benevolent. I hope it does right because if it doesn't. We don't have that much longer to go here before no, we're, we're, we're immediately fucked. It's game over for all of us for hundred percent and very quickly too. Um, but I do like the idea that they go. It's not a negative because I actually quite enjoyed it, but it is very hits you over the face with like like the robots like being monks or like or like sacrificing yeah, themselves totally. to save the kids or you know what I mean doing these things. I, I, I it's beautiful scenery and it's so well executed that all of these robot quote unquote extras in all these scenes or they feel so real and their voices are very cool. They're in the bars or hanging out with people. They're sleeping or recharging. It's like, I love all those shots. What's very interesting though. And again, weird, but I kind of love it is how they sided nature with AI as this wholesome unity. And you see that in two examples, the dog grabs a grenade and throws it at the enemies. 
to yeah. save save them, which is very strange, but kills robots to save robots. And then you see the fucking the the monkey detonates the C4 and oh, fucking right, kills yeah. that thing. I'm like, holy shit, like nature has merged with AI and it's peaceful. And you see like AI farming, you see AI like end themselves over the loss, the grief of losing a child. Like yeah. really interesting concepts that we've never seen before. And there's not enough discussion points about that. But this 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 movie is pushing ideas we haven't seen get like a mainstream well, uh, I mean, wide I dug, release like and this. I, I dug that a lot. Like yeah. I did a lot of thinking about like how the AI would gravitate towards more Eastern ideals, like the or just like everything from African to Eastern ideals, like the the older culture ways, like living in synchronicity with your planet rather than pillaging it and doing That's all it. that shit. Like, yeah, like yeah, they wouldn't want to like a robot, a machine that needs the world would probably look at the world and not be like, oh, how can I just use up everything? Here? It would be like. They would calculate how can I use, but also sustain and do all that kind of crazy shit, right? Yeah. That seems, that's what, I think that's the magic trick that this movie plays is is getting you to, on a non-conscious, non-heavy-handed level, understand. Like, when that robot saved the kids, I was like, oh, I understand why a robot would view things like that. And that's a fucking huge leap to do in your imagination, especially yeah. from a lot of other stories you're told, but this movie does it so just smoothly that you don't even think twice about it. Like, yeah. Or just like get too way down in the choice of a robot sacrificing itself to protect kids. It's yeah. like, you just, you understand that or like on some weird level. And it's just, like, yeah, I think like, especially that it's like a, a like self-aware robot. You know what I mean? It's not like we're talking yeah. about like a droid or something in star Wars. It's like, this is a, a being that has self like it's literally in that scene running away in self-preservation and then, you know, basically makes the calculus in that moment that its own life isn't as important as like, I, I did like, that's the thing is like, I can see why people have been pulled in by the movie. And I was too, like I said, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit and I, oh, no, it's I good. Really, like I, I've been critical, yeah. but it is a good immersive as fuck visually hypnotizing ride for two hours yeah like you are in that world like you're there there's definitely stuff you can like you know that's easy to pick apart about and there are things that could have been executed a lot better but it's like i think i just walked out of there being like man i just wish we had more original sci-fi yeah you know because it's like no that's the thing that came out like i was just sort of like at least this movie has a vision it's, you know, it's beautiful to look at. It's interesting. It's immersive. And like, yeah, the story is a story that I, in general, have probably seen a million times before with kind of this, you know, this sort of person coming to grips with being a father and, you know, what that what that journey is for them and stuff. But but I, did, I mean, just like it, there were so many things that were inventive and there were so many new things in it that I was like, I could really overlook a lot of its its faults it in general. Me, but I, It made me decide, and I think I was kind of building to this earlier. I don't need Gareth Edwards as a director, like necessarily of his own filmmaker, because I don't think he has the story side down. You need to be able to tell like a competent story through cinema. I think he's very like passionate and very good at world building. I think he's one of the best at world building and shooting things for practical, making things look high budget for much like a much reduced cost. It's incredible. This thing cost $80 million. Like, I mean, I, I, yeah, you think about these. Look at the price tag for fucking rogue one. 
Yeah. Like yeah. that shit spiraled out of control. <laughs> That's true. Well, That's true. reshoots. But it made a billion. Well, Who yeah. gives a fuck? Yeah. yeah, it did make a billion. That's the thing. It did make a billion. Um, and that's very hard to do outside of a major. And that's like, yeah, outside of a major Star Wars, of like Skywalker event film, like that's unheard of. But like it, I think he needs to, like he could be a DP and head of his own kind of like, not even a visual effects studio, but like, like a practical effects studio, like just like a production design studio. He should probably like just be a should, producer. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's yeah. No, 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 for sure. I, I don't know. I think no. I would say he needs he needs a creative cinematographer, partner. Cinematographer, DP, like yeah. a DP, cinematographer, and and head of his own production design studio. That yeah. like not just, just that though, but him, and like they they do it all. They're like, look, here's the fucking. Give me the handhelds. Here's the thing. We're going to shoot on these cameras. Here's the budget. You know what your studio is going to cost you? They're going to tell you it's 200000000 million. I'll do it for fucking 80. That should be his yeah. fucking... Oh, job. yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. He, uh, there's, uh, there's more to it, though, for me. like I, I love the idea. He captures little moments. And, he, and like you said, Kofi said world building. That's 100% part of it. So I love the idea I think him having a creative partner where like he's got like a story, uh, the opposite of a yes man with him, right? And he, yeah. But he still controls it and adapts and creates. But there's someone there honing in the main themes, the main through point. Yeah. But there's, like there's a, nothing bad about the dialogue. Um, and the, the little moments are powerful. Even though I they, they fail to develop the first half of the father-daughter relationship, the emotional scenes later on, to me, hit hard and well. And he did that without developing it properly. So imagine he could do the first half of that, right? So I think Kofi said it right. He just needs a better – He's a scripter with him, um, alongside. He's like, him. Hey, like homeboy who works with Catherine Bigelow all the time, or like the other Gilroy who works with Tony. Yeah, you got yeah. Dan in there doing a bunch of stuff with Tony. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you, but cool movie. Everyone should see it. Do you guys want to try and uh, knock out a little Loki thing, or should we save that for another day? At this, no, let's do it all. It's still the rapid fire, baby. Gen V. Let's talk about little people and big dicks. That's the thing, right? That's the boys' universe. God, stop! I don't want to. I tweeted this. I'm not watching any more boy scenes of a shrinking power. I'm just not. That's the thing. If you can shrink, you jump on dicks. That's the thing. That's the boys. (laughs) I so I will say I I guess I've seen like the first six episodes. Is that what you guys have seen at this point? I've seen the first six. I didn't. I didn't watch the screeners. I just watched the three episodes. That's all I had time for. I don't know if you've heard the list. Yeah, so I, I watched the I watched the six episodes that were available as screeners. Oh, wow. I, I'll tell you what, I actually really like that show though, like a lot. I I just like that world. I do think there is some like excessive stuff that I know that's the boys, and I know that's kind of what the expectation is at this point. But it's like I think some of it is kind of like actually like distracting some of the time. But the main story and kind of like the mystery that un like unravels throughout the uh throughout the six episodes that i saw going leading into like i think there's eight episodes this season or something i i mean i dug it all i thought it was quite i thought it was quite good i'm i'm definitely enjoying it um i like the new characters and, and you know i mean there's some fun time i had to pause a lot but I, I i enjoyed it i had to pause a fuckload though yeah i was just like i gotta walk away and do something else for a minute yeah. <laughs> oh i see like, right from the beginning is this 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 show is just yeah, it's very. It's just. I think yeah. I said. I think I said that every time I don't watch the boys for a minute, I forget it's the boys. 
And then yeah. I turn it back on that universe and I'm just like, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, it's so, I mean, it's totally true. Yeah. Um, and the marketing, like, I was not into this from the marketing because it just felt like all the p- problems we're talking about, like just the, the over the topness, the extreme violence, extreme sexualization, it just felt like, oh, it's just more gimmicks, just, just to fill the schedule until the boy season four comes out. And it was not into it, but when I watched it, I was I was pretty hooked. Like it, it's so much better than it deserves to be. And to me, it's right up there with the boys, and it absolutely fits in. And I think it's a must watch if you love the boys. And yeah, um, but yeah, we should have a discussion about these shrinking powers and what is with this obsession with let's first small start people with dicks. <laughs> we should just okay. spell a secret, which is that I don't think there's been ever one Prime Video trailer that. I've ever thought was good or made me actually watch the show. I'm trying to think back I now. See that because yeah, even the Hobbit stuff didn't look, or the Lord of the Rings stuff. The trailers didn't. Oh, they did. They, they they bombed that marketing campaign yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I like. I love a lot of shows there. I love Wheel of Time. I love Reacher. Well, no, I, I love I Jack Ryan. The videos. trailers, you're right. They're all mediocre. So they're all or, or middling. Yeah. yeah, it's in. Yeah. No, like, they've all been dog shit with that little arrow that comes in at the end, man, and fades it. Like, they're all dog shit. I don't think there's ever point. been one that's been like, yo, you got to see this trailer for this Amazon show. It's like, even the boys' trailers are like, they're not what makes me watch the show, you know? Like, yeah, totally, for sure. It's true. I just give it a chance. And, or what's the other one? Out of Range with Josh Brolin. Even that, I was like, what? And then I watched it. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. Um, yeah, they do good featurettes. Uh, they, you know what the Amazon does really well is when their shows are already running. They do those good like, you should watch this show that's already running things on like regular right. TV and shit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, all right, well, yeah, I mean, I'll be I'll be curious as you guys watch more of it to see what you think, and I'm I'm interested to see how it sort of wraps up this season because the like I said, the sort of central mystery or the central kind of I mean underlying kind of thing that is happening. I'm pretty far into it now. And like, I understand like the way that it would tie into the boys, but it's also like, I don't know where they go with that after they've, after they've done it and stuff. So I'm, I'm curious if they can stick the landing um, for what they're setting up. But I, yeah, I like the new characters. I think it's, you know, I'm down for yeah. more books, world, like stuff that it happens in the world of the boys. So, um, all right, yeah, look, like let's wrap up with Loki then. So I've, like I said, I only watched the first episode I was a big fan of the first season. So, I mean, this season is off to a great start as far as I'm concerned. I know you guys have watched a bit more of it than I have, but, but I mean, I've, I'm always down for Loki. I love the music. I love Tom Hiddleston in this role. I, I think now that it's past the awkwardness of like it not being the Loki that we fell in love with kind of throughout, you know, the actual like sort of main plot line or whatever, like now that they're past all that shit and they can just like have this Loki kind of try and save the day again i i dig all that I, i'm definitely down uh, uh i can echo just like yeah the i think that uh the premiere episode is one of the best yeah. marvel t disney plus productions i i've seen for a single episode like <laughs> the production values the production design the costuming and even the story of the first episode as a self-contained whole is one of the best I've seen from these Marvel Disney plus shows by far. Yeah. I'll start there. Like, but, uh, okay. I'll, I'll let, like 
uh, pop off on this. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I think, you know, I'm consistent in saying Disney Plus has the lowest quality marquee shows, especially when it comes to Marvel and Star Wars shows. Um, but I do think this one um, might, it has the potential to be the best Marvel Studios show in Disney Plus. Uh, I'll say that. Um, I yeah, the premiere is great. I love how it picks up like the, the basically the moment season one ends. Um, ben, you'll appreciate when you watch the next episodes. It's got even more of that Doctor Who vibe. I know you're looking oh, at. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, I love that. It's cool, and they, uh, you know, I guess I can't get into spoilers here, but um, it takes some big swings, and I like how it feels a little more isolated. Um, you can make the comparison to Severance in that way. There's like some like six sort of areas, but they do go on little adventures here and there when they need to. Uh, it is the TVA after all, but it's your same sort of core group of characters plus Kehu Kwan, who's, who's awesome. Um, great addition to this. Funny as hell too. I love yeah, how they got him into the show. Um, yeah, and then look, I, there's a reason they gave us the first four out of six, and, and and in episode four when you get to it, and it's blowing my mind that we have to wait a month to see something new here and talk about this, but. They take some crazy swings, and I, I actually, for the first time, don't know how they're going to follow it up, which is exciting. Um, but my, the, the, the thing I'm curious about, and I have no problems with it. I actually really, really, really enjoyed watching all four episodes. I'm totally fucking in, and I'm, I'm someone who did not love the first season. And there's one scene in particular in the first season which, which didn't work. But the one thing I'm very curious about, and it speaks to the whole MCU, is the, the, the multiverse of it all. How they're trying to explain and execute stories on what seems to be an inconsistent set of descriptions and rule sets for what the multiverse or, or a set of timelines is and how it functions and how you can break it or fix it or separate or grow it or shrink it. None of it seems to compute when I go from quantum media to Loki season one and two to Avengers to whatever multiverse of madness. Like I don't understand like how it actually works, but I do think, and I said this on Twitter, Loki season two is pretty standalone. It doesn't really need the MCU. And of course, there's some dialogue references to Thor and stuff like that. But it's so far, it's it's very standalone. I think the MCU needs Loki more than Loki needs the MCU. Because right now, to me, the MCU is in pretty dire straits. And these trailers for the Marvels are not doing well. And everything, and theatrically, and on Disney Plus for the last couple of years has been kind of middling to forgetful so yeah. loki is the shining star right now um so i'm glad they were able to follow up season one which was good with something potentially even greater and if they stick the landing or do something crazy with the next two episodes then fuck yeah they finally have a like a clear winner on their hands which is nice to see yeah i just even stylistically like the show is just like it has such a like like a vibe to it that you don't see in the MCU. Like it's, it actually like, even from like a sort of cinematography standpoint, like it's beautiful to look at in a lot of ways. And like, yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. It's there's there's cool visuals in this with, with, the, with the, what they're dealing with in the in episodes oh, yeah. three and four. I will say um, I wasn't as high on some of the later episodes as Rob is. I think that one is one of the best. I think four is really good. Yes. In both how it brings the, I think, I think they gave us the first four because they are an arc. And then there's going to be a two episode arc that happens in the back half of the series is how this basically plays from what I can tell so far. And that's speculation. But, um, 
four is the end of this first arc where there's like some literal things that like just come back around again and that we get to kind of see again from different perspectives. And that I think that and the first episode are really good episodes two and three. I think two was really slow for me. It, it, it was a, but I don't know if it's that because two in and of itself is bad or just two is a major come down from the epicness of episode one. Um, yeah. Uh, can I chime in there, Kofi? Like, yeah, I, yeah, I think one serves almost as an epilogue to season one, the way it starts off. Two feels like yeah. the reset. Let's bring all the players back and reset what we're doing here. And then three is yeah. like, okay, now we're starting. That's what it feels like. Um, but I'm yeah. curious. And, and yeah, exactly. Like two is very much one is a hit the ground running, like just kind of in, and there's going to be a lot of debate on like what the implication was at the end of season one versus what we're told at the beginning of season two. That's going to be very interesting, but like there is a hit. I mean, it's a literal hit the ground running, like solve a problem type deal yeah. in the immediacy um, Two takes more of a time to kind of look at the new status quo on a larger scale and, and kind of like what it means. And uh, as Rob indicates, three is where like, is where a lot of fans are looking for things to kind of really kind of pick up and, and, and get into gear with the intrigue and all that stuff and the larger possible multiverse saga ties. I also agree with Rob that in four episodes of this, I don't feel like I know anything more solid about the multiverse saga. I think I have more <laughs> questions than anything. I have more questions than ever. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Like I'm, I'm like more like what the fuck is going on and every and if you think your head hurts now boy i can't wait for the end of you guys to get to like a month from now when we all come back around halloween and like it's like yeah man it's gonna like yeah everybody's head's gonna be fucking exploding it's gonna be nuts but yeah. um i think two and three even are in even three gets a little bit to, I mean, there's other things they focus on and, and they're not as strong. But the core storyline of Loki, the TVA, his relationship with Mobius and the people who work there, including like um, Quan and as as his character, Obi, it, it is just that stuff is really good. And I think at this point, I, I would love to see it go on beyond this. Because I think this Loki is weirdly like a concept. Because at the end of this day, this this version of Loki doesn't really have a place in the MCU. Like yeah. unless he replaces the dead guy, which is kind of more boring. Because he's gonna be something much different after all this. But the TVA, even after Secret Wars, like there's a new timeline after that with mutants <laughs> and all that shit. Somebody's gotta protect that. You can keep doing this show every couple of years. In, in for like fucking different protecting different versions of the MCU, whatever it is. And I would still watch it because this season makes the actual workplace element of it really compelling and interesting. And yeah. like, it's not just about Loki anymore. It's kind of an Ahsoka bait and switch because this really could have been called TVA and like, it'd be more yeah. accurate, but like it is, it makes all that stuff like really fun. 
it, it's neat. In a lot of the interviews that the uh, producer, uh, you know, given the strikes, there's limited availability of people for interviews, obviously. But uh, producer uh, Kevin Wright, who did interviews with, with you guys, Kofi, and, and us, and many other outlets, he's been comparing the TVA to like the multiversal shield basically. And, and, and uh, of course there are rumors that TVA people will appear in Deadpool three and such. Obviously it's, you know, that shit's happening. Of, yeah. hundred percent. And then, you know, they could, they could do all this stuff until they get to secret wars and then reset the universe into one or, or in the case of TVA, they would call that the quote unquote sacred timeline or whatever. Um, the new uh, sacred timeline. The new, exactly. The new one where we pick the, the actors we want to keep and then introduce new Wolverine, new Iron Man, all the icons we need to sell movie tickets. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, but you're right, Kofi. When, when episode four drops, people on Twitter are going to be like, what the fuck just happened to all these, to all these, to everyone? It's, it's crazy. So, um, Ben, you should watch those screeners so you can understand yeah, what we're saying gonna, here. But yeah, I'm going to try and blow through them now that like Ahsoka's done and I'm caught up on a couple other things that I was, I was catching up on like Harley Quinn and some other things that I was just like enjoying. Mm, well, like, you better kind of watching, fucking but. turn on Loki. Oh, Harley Quinn's still going to be there. I know. I know. <laughs> I was anywhere? just, you know. She's getting know, another season. She's fine. Yeah. yeah. I really like that show too, though. That's a great, great, great show. Um, all right. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm excited. I'm definitely excited. I mean, any, you know, this is the most Doctor Who that Marvel gets. And, you know, I love me some Doctor Who. So but it's just, it's just so good. I mean, I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling at this point, but just like little things that I think about. I just, I like the music is so good. And, you know, it's just like, that scene in the elevator when he's like glitching out in the first episode and then it just like pans over and there's a woman there that's like been watching it the whole time. Like it just has like a sense of humor that Marvel, like Marvel has that like goofy shit sense of humor. That's like, you know, kind of for everybody, but it's like, this doesn't, it doesn't have that. Like it's actually like quite smart and quite like sort of sarcastic and snappy humor. And I think that's why, like I wish more Marvel stuff kind of took that kind of leap in terms of the way that it, it addressed like humor and it's, it's sort of lighter moments. Cause I think it's actually like British. much more well executed. It's more British humor. It is true. It is more Britishy. That's for sure. Um, all right, well let's wrap it up. I'm sure there's other stuff that we could, we could talk about that we've been watching, but it'd be good to come back in, in a couple of weeks or something and catch up with you guys again. So um that will do it for this episode of podcast x a super probably two hour and 15 minute episode that's maybe our longest episode of uh of this one yet still doesn't beat a three hour episode i think we did of the sru at one point but um but i am ben kendrick you can follow me um on you know all the socials at most of them at ben kendrick uh you can check out what i'm doing over at static media we run looper and slash film my uh mr rob keys my co-host yeah so my i didn't mention this but uh but an hour into the podcast i grab a bottle of chardonnay <laughs> this is a, uh, <laughs> a blend of california it's a cheap it's like a 15 dollars california canadian wine from two years ago uh yes you can find me on x or twitter whatever that garbo is at rob underscore keys k-e-y-e-s and then i uh, check out our stuff on screen rant awesome our other former special guest, now co-host, Kofi Outlaw. Oh, don't I didn't say that. I just said it's a gray oh. area. Just uh, Oh, okay. All right. Well, co-host slash special guest. Nebulous presence, Kofi Outlaw. <laughs> uh, you can find me 
on all the socials at Kofi Outlaw. Uh, it's K O F I Outlaw O U T L A W. As the great in the late Jamie Lannister said, there are no men like me. There is only me. So, you know, once you Google me, you'll find everything. So <laughs> check it out. Awesome. That will uh, that'll do it for this week's episode. Um, if you haven't given us a review or rating, I mean, I know it's kind of weird to have been gone for five weeks and, you know, and, and then ask for reviews and ratings, but it does help us spread word about the show. So go ahead and uh, do that. Otherwise, we will see you all next time. <laughs>